Hello all and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 2nd of September of 2020. I am Nick, here with Chris. That's me. Uh, or is or is it really Chris? Or is he a demon of a podcast host? You know, Nick, uh, we, we are here in All Hallows Eve month. <laughs> no, hang on. <laughs> Fuck, is it not October? No, it's not October. Nick, I came up with Bulak Bulutler. <laughs> Last night. <laughs> and then I thought about it for another 15 minutes and I was like, no, Bulak Bloodler is better. And then I settled on Bulak Bulutler Boo. <laughs> so. Where does the look come from? <laughs> Wouldn't it be Bulak Bootler? Like. Yeah, Bulak Bootler Boo. <laughs> Just throwing it That was the last one. Yeah, that was, you know, for punctuation. Or if you uh, if you want to go for uh, corrupting the kanji, you could go for buro shits buji. <laughs> it works both ways. Two I, boos. Yeah, there you go. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to mess with the the native language. I'm certainly not just putting boos in places. Because <laughs> <laughs> someone gives you like, oh, we have this ancient script, but fortunately, we we have found. The uh, what was it called? The the fucking was it the ruby or something like that. It was some sort of like um, translation thing that people discovered. I completely forgot. Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Not ruby. Rosetta Stone. But and you're like, no, 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 that's not necessary. And you just like go through like the the cryptograms and stuff. It's like boo dog, <laughs> <laughs> boo eagle, boo river. <laughs> People in our Discord were, like, trying to go through, like, oh, these series uh, for Halloween month. I wonder what he's going to call them. And somebody's like, I can't I guess you can't really call it when Mission Yours Zakora Family. And I immediately just responded. I was like, Mission Boo Zakora Family. It was right there. <laughs> and I left a thunderous applause. That part might not have happened, but I did come in immediately. <laughs> and everyone clapped. And everyone clapped. They were like, it's so cool, Chris. It's super okay that you guys got rid of Mission Yours Zakora Family from the recap. By the way, this is a great opportunity for me to talk about uh, two things. One, uh, I'm I'm going to back up you up. I didn't really say any anything last time when we said when you said I don't really want to talk about this, and it's like okay, I guess we're not going to. I've been so not like displeased, but just generally unimpressed by Mission Yozakura family for the past. <sighs> What day is today? (laughs) A long time. And it's been almost exactly a year since it debuted. So we gave it a good long run. Yeah. Uh, And it seems like it's sticking around. This week it had a color page, which which is usually an indication that it's doing quite well. Uh, I genuinely do wish uh, it the best so that its fans get more out of it. Um, And I think... Honestly, if it were to get adapted into an anime, it might be more interesting to watch than to read in certain cases. But like you put it last week, this last week, there was a big seminal game changing chapter and the both of us were just like, okay, yeah, so I I, I really I want to be clear because I I I don't want I'd really try not to be super negative a lot of time there's old habits I kind of try to pull out of but generally speaking I'm not trying to be like a negative person I know I made like a lot of jokes before like May Shinurizakura family and things like that like I joke about it but honestly the whole reason dropping it is just it I feel like 
as a show, when we don't have anything to say, it's kind of rude to the people who do like it. Because, like, it's not that I think it's a bad series. It just doesn't interest me. So I'm not going to, like, and when we're talking about it, my mind's not trying to come up with bits. There's no, We're not trying to create, like, a send the silent kind of joke for the discussion or anything like that. Or we're not going back and forth about what this might mean or anything like that. I, I think it's a perfectly fine series. I'm still going to be reading it off to the side just because I'm reading everything in Jump right now. But there won't be a requirement on me to then talk about it on a stream, which I think is going to be better for everybody involved. If you were a big fan of the, of the series, I hope you still enjoy it. It's going to be great. And I, you know, I just don't want us to have to like talk about it and make you feel bad and feel yeah. angry when we don't give it a whole bunch of attention. There's a reason why I'm actually get, I've grown to be upset over the last few months that Samurai 8 is gone. It's not that Samurai 8 was good. <laughs> no. Occasionally it was, but it rarely was. It's that it was so much fun to talk about because mm-hmm. it was always so stupid. And there was always plenty to talk about. And for the exact re- same reason, the reason why I was like, okay, I guess instead of Mission News of Kura Family, we're going to talk about Ayakashi Triangle, was not because I think Ayakashi Triangle is good. No. In fact... When I was reading this week, I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Look what you've done, Nick. Look what you've done. No, it wants me to look at it. <laughs> but before we get into all that, we have... I have no idea how this discussion is going to go as we talk about the series that we've been reading over the course of the past month. Because uh, this was a recommendation that was made to us uh, after we uh, did the charity drive in May uh, as a special, um, I guess, um, thank you to someone who made a very generous donation mm-hmm. to the, the uh, during that stream. Black Butler, yes. Kuroshi Tsuji. Now, which, uh, in retrospect, I may have misunderstood them and I think they might have been intending for this recommendation to happen during Halloween month, which would make a lot more sense. There are demons involved in it. So, yeah, I get that. Yeah, uh, it would have, I guess, been an OK uh, series, but it would have also taken like the entire month for us yeah. to, to cover. Um, so this is a series that's been uh, written and drawn by Yana Toboso in Monthly G Fantasy. Since September 2006, and it is still going. Now, Chris, I remember back in 2010, Uh 2009, maybe, uh, when the Black Butler anime was a relatively was was pretty new because it because it ran in 2008, 2009. It was one of the series that uh, Jacob Chapman covered uh, back in his original uh, Yezu Otaku videos. Uh, and it had a certain, there was a certain perception that I had of the series in terms of there's like Hoye between this butler and the 13 year old kid that he, that he is in service to. Did not really realize what the series was actually about because <laughs> I, I had the exact same thing. I was going to ask you, what did you think black butler was when we took it? Cause I thought it was just a boy's love series. Like I thought this was a series about like a handsome butler who takes care of a handsome boy and like every series that involves a maid i assume they just fall in love with each other and that was it and i did not expect all the dark shit no make no bones about this yana toboso is very much aware of the way the series Mm -hmm. looks and 
that is definitely part of the subtext of the series. I think in like the fourth chapter or something like that, there is this big image that opens one of the chapters of like uh, Sebastian, the butler character, uh, lovingly putting on a shoe for Ciel, the boy he is in service to. Uh, so there is definitely, you know, that is definitely an appeal of the series. There's no getting around that. Uh, but the way that I would describe the plot of this story, it's kind of odd because it's part stupid daily hijinks of rich people, mm-hmm. part uh, villain of the week, monster of the week, uh, mystery solving and, and demon battling shenanigans and part ridiculous soap opera. <laughs> like, <laughs> it really is. I, I want to start, actually, before we talk about anything, I want to start with an anecdote. Go because uh, as some people here probably know, uh, beyond doing a, the best manga podcast on the internet, I also work a retail job with a buddy of mine who uh, basically runs a store that sells all manner of stuff, a lot of like magic cards and skateboards and all sorts of stuff. But the big thing we sell are t-shirts. And a lot of them are band t-shirts, but there was a handful of anime t-shirts way back when I first started. And I remember mentioning to the, the store owner several times, I was like, hey, why don't we get more anime t-shirts? And he's like, I don't know what's popular. I don't watch anime. And I was like, well, I can help you out with that. Open it up while I'm here one day. And it finally happened. We went to the website and I was going through, I was like, yeah, get some like One Punch Man, some some My Hero. Like these are still relatively popular things in America. Yeah. People, Dragon and, Ball Z and- is always going to be popular. And very general audience stuff, yeah. right? I think there was six straight pages of nothing but Black Butler merchandise. And wow. every time my, like the store owner's just like, we got to get Black Butler stuff. It's everywhere. Kids love it. I'm like, Joe, George, it's just a boys love series. I don't think that many people like it. <laughs> and I was kind of right, but also wrong. But after reading this series, I was like, you know, maybe we should have gotten one Black Butler t-shirt. <laughs> I think maybe one. And I think that, yeah, part of it is, I mean, it's still running. Yeah. It still definitely has a fan base. But, yeah, I mean, you were wise to, you know, stick more to, like, stuff that is Demon more Slayer like, and well. My Hero. We got, like, a sweet, uh, uh, what's the villains group called? Villains group? The, the bad guy group in My Hero. Why am I blanking on it? The League of Villains? Or yeah, League the- of Villains. We got, like, a sweet League of Villains t-shirt in recently. I was like, yeah, everyone yeah. will like this. Hasn't sold a bunch, but that's okay because <laughs> I'm not the bad guy here. It's all of you who don't have taste. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and you have to keep in mind, you know, when it comes to anime, like there is stuff that, you know, ascends to massive popularity and then goes away for a while. And there's some stuff that sticks around. I distinctly remember when uh, I started writing the Bleach article, they kind of gave it the title, Whatever Happened to Bleach, because the reason I was asked to write it was because no one on the regular writing staff had kept up with it because it had just kind of faded. And then you look at other stuff and yeah, there are some things that stick around and some things that don't. Yeah. And so, yeah, Black Butler was very popular 10 years ago. I was just <laughs> stunned sure that there at that some much. Some people are still very dedicated to it, but it's not quite as. I think yeah. there were like two JoJo shirts to give context. I think there were like two JoJo's Bizarre Adventure shirts and everything else was Black Butler on that site. Yeah. So, um, so. The revelation that we come to very quickly, because it seems at first, honestly, it keeps up the premise. This is an odd series to talk about the plot, because when you look up plot summaries about this series and it gives you like it gives you this very straightforward, like 
premise and picture of what happens. But if you read the series from the beginning, it takes fucking forever to get some of the stuff that is just put on paragraph one of like summaries of this series. The main thing that I would start off with is there is a butler. He is in service to a kid. It turns out the butler is actually a demon who has formed a contract with the kid with the cost eventually being his soul. That is the only thing that you really learn for the first volume. There's a lot of mysteries that they go about solving where they run into some other demons or Shinigami or various other things. Uh, the series is set in late 19th century London and CL uh, is the head of this uh, household that is in and he is in like direct service to the queen to take care of very bizarre happenings around England. And that just kind of, goes on for a bit there is some other stuff where like uh he is involved with like his equally young fiance on a few things where he's you know very cold but is kind of connected to her uh and basically all that goes on is uh it's a good thing sebastian's around because ciel's household will be totally fucked without him Mm -hmm. uh because all the other servants who work for him are incompetent and you find out why eventually (laughs) And it's for very good reasons, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's just for stupid, silly jokes for a long time. <laughs> I really like when I was starting to read the series, I like like six or five, like five or six chapters in my, my only like main thought was like, man, this side cast sucks. They could just go yeah. like, I wouldn't feel anything. And it stays that way for like 20 more chapters. And then eventually you're like, you find out why they're actually there. And you're like, oh, Okay. It's not because they were trying to be a maid. It was because they admit through other circumstances. Yeah. And that's why they're here. <laughs> the, so. the, the skill that they bring to this thing is less about their actual job and more about the other things they have going on for them. Yeah. And honestly, I'm all for that kind of a story. I love misfit family kind of stories where, you know, like it's they, this group comes together because they don't have a place anywhere else and they, and they grow bonds that way. It's a great, it's a great uh, story and it makes me feel good inside. Um, and there are interesting stories that are told over the course of this. It's just that it takes a really long time for you to get some of them. <laughs> 14 years. <laughs> I just found out what, ha- why the maid's so, so clumsy. <laughs> Oh, she's farsighted because she was and she was a sniper. Okay. (laughs) Hey, we got it right on time. Spoilers. Um, so I I will say that now I've I've kind of been mentioning this off podcast and other places. This has been a rough month for me. So I did not get through the entirety of this series the way I wanted to. I actually read a portion last week and I was really sick and I had to reread it again this week because I realized I retained nothing. So I was like, all right, let's try to go through it again. And it really was kind of this odd experience where like I had read a portion and then I came into it again to pick it back up. And I was like, why are there so many monsters? (laughs) I was like, oh, right. (laughs) This isn't just like a romance series. It's actually like... This is actually kind of like a a very bleak and dark shonen manga at times. And yeah. it's it's very interesting because I think that's the point to really hammer in on is that this is basically a shonen manga that doesn't do 
like one-on-one fights. Like it's not a battle manga per se, but it's absolutely like in the same realm as other shonen series. As long as you could accept that it is going to go to some very bleak and very dark places. Yeah, uh, as in like um, one of the very, very first mysteries that they go about solving is the Jack the Ripper case. Mm. So there you go. Like that is wait, they didn't didn't make him a hero in this one? Because I think (laughs) it's I, I, I don't know how this happened. So for a long time, there's been this trend that if you're in a gotcha game. You make uh, fucking uh, Joan of Arc is just a waifu. You just make some character called Joan of Arc and you make her very pretty and you put her in bikinis when the summertime comes around. I'm like, that's kind of weird, but whatever. They're doing it now for Jack the Ripper. Like, that's kind of becoming a thing. And I was like, now he was just a bad guy. Like, <laughs> there's not really a lot of like subtext to him. He was a serial killer. <laughs> He's not a good guy. I don't. It's kind of weird we're doing this, right? <laughs> He murdered women because they were prostitutes. Like, that's it. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Still not the weirdest Jack the Ripper story I've ever heard. Have you ever heard of the Star Trek episode that involves Jack the Ripper? No, please tell me he, like, became captain for a day. No, uh, basically, he... Actually, he might have been a captain. I forget the guy's position. But in one of the 60s Star Trek episodes... Uh, it turns out that there is this intergalactic spirit that just possesses people and turns them into murderous psychopaths. And one of the people that he had uh, possessed in the past was Jack the Ripper. And the person that he possesses in the present in Star Trek is played by the guy who voiced Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> oh... So he's so he's like, I'll kill you all, I'll murder you. <laughs> it's like there's a Twilight Zone episode with the guy who voices Winnie the Pooh, and you're just like, this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, getting back to the story, um, a lot of I will be f- straight up with you. The first hundred chapters very much blend together for me because it's like they go on this case, they they get involved with this cult. And that called a detail gets sprinkled in here, get, a detail gets thrown in there. And eventually we actually get the big twist and the big reveal, which is the entire story of how CL uh, of how Sebastian came into to contract with CL, uh, which was the like CL had been kidnapped by this cult that was trying to summon a demon and instead of answering to them uh the demon answered to cl and killed all of the cult members and then cl formed a contract with him and so now he's bound in service to him until cl realizes the the full extent of his vengeance by killing the people responsible for landing him in that situation in the first place and on top of that it turns out Massive spoilers here, but although I guess this would have taken place because this was a monthly series, so this would have actually been revealed three or four years ago, I guess. So I'm sure I'm sure that even if I say it here, it's likely to have been spoiled somewhere else. It turns out that CL is not actually CL. He's CL's twin and the two twins were kidnapped together and the twin that was actually named CL was the older one who was actually going to inherit everything. 
And the one that is now currently known as CL, the protagonist, was his younger sickly twin who had asthma and stuff. And so the healthy one who's actually CL was sacrificed on the altar to summon a demon. And then the one who's currently calling himself CL, whose name we don't know, formed the contract with Sebastian. And so he's just calling himself CL because he wanted to just replace his older brother. And so the real CL comes back and reveals all of this to everyone. And the police show up and the CL that we know is arrested. (laughs) It's that's why I began this episode by saying part ridiculous soap opera because if you could hear that description and think anything other than daytime soap opera i defy you to think of it it is it is very much that way even throughout the series to that point it's so like there's like several different arcs that kind of start things off and like one of them involves like a like a circus troupe and things like that and you know, it's, it's a little bit more kind of like standard dark show. And that's where we actually find out about like what the side characters can actually do and things like that. Uh, and then the arc after that, I believe, is the murder mystery one. Yes. And I actually really like that arc just because generally a murder mystery like is just an interesting thing to me. I, I just like that kind of story. And it, it does like all like it's not a very good murder mystery because it does all the things you really shouldn't do in a murder mystery where like the the start of it you follow Sebastian as he's like doing all these things and it's like he's dead and you're like well he did all these things because i assume he knew he was going to, and that's what you find out you know just like yeah. yeah you find out he knew he was about to be attacked or this thing was going to happen so he prepared all these things in advance he basically set up half of the events himself ahead of time and you're like Okay, the only thing they didn't do that I was expecting them to do is have the bad guy be the fucking, uh, like, the, the author. Where he's, he's like, because he's like, I'm the innocent guy. And I was expected to be like, wrap it down. And he was just like, yeah, I'm the crippled Which person. It, does do, it, it pulls that twist multiple times, by yeah. the way, where, you know, like, the, the person responsible for the abductions or the murders or whatever is revealed. And they go, so. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where you're like, it's very cartoonish and big and i don't know if i could find a better term than as you said just a soap opera where it's like everything is the most like grandiose extravagant twist onto everything and it's kind of great that way because i don't know how you can digest all of this stuff without that because it's such a bleak and awful story like you don't root for anyone in this story no one's like a good person or anything like that so your heroes are CL, who's an asshole, like he's bitter because, you know, he's his life was completely disrupted and he's out only for revenge. And Sebastian, who is the only one with any skills to make him admirable. And he is constantly going, I'm going to like eat you when this is all over. Like he he is a devil. He never feels like a good person. So. And you know what? Like, it's all right. Like, I I think that it is done well. Um, it's not, you know, a particularly, like, compelling narrative, I don't think. But it goes all in on what it tries to do. And I think that if, you know, it matches your taste, then it's you're going to like it. Um, but I, I mean, it doesn't really 
it's not really what I look for in a series that I want to read regularly. Uh, so I'm not going to really read anymore after this, but I definitely see why it, you know, it's stuck around for as long as it has and has maintained maybe not widespread popularity, but it has been consistent in holding on to a fan base for a long time. So, yeah, I could definitely, uh, Hmm. I think I kind of am in the same way. I think the biggest takeaway I had was I was like, I, I can't believe I didn't realize this sort of thing was out there. Like, for the longest time, I really did not... I thought this was a series one that was done a long time ago. I thought it had ended because I was like, yeah, I think I heard about that in, like, the 2000s or something like that. Like, the mm-hmm. mid to late 2000s. So, I was like, the series is done. Also, I was like, I think it's just a romance series or something like that. I didn't realize it's this, like, absurd, bleak, dark, somewhat kind of comical in execution shonen series to be like, oh, it's kind of funny and funky. Um, and also it kind of reminds me of like very early WMR where we used to read a lot of those sorts of series like Pandora Hearts and like uh, mm, Dead yeah. Man Wonderland. I was like, it feels like it's right in that realm of like this sort of like macabre shonen. Dead Man Wonderland, but a lot less battle happy, uh-huh. definitely. Um, yeah, and I think that honestly, my biggest hang up with the series is the way that it romanticizes rich people, I think, because uh-huh. there's a lot of corrupt rich people in this series, but the the I, but the fact that they're rich is not what makes them bad, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> um, and it's it's very much a like this is a world for rich people because like all of the battle uh, characters take the form of a servant to a rich person. Uh, And it's really weird when you kind of look at it that way of like, Oh, all the people that Sebastian gets in impressive one-on-one fights with are like other butlers. (laughs) And that's kind of weird. And like, a like playing, it's like, it's like we're Pokemon, but we're actually humans. (laughs) (laughs) So it's weird in that sense. Um, but like I said, I think that I definitely understand because like what it does, I think it does well. It's just not something in general I'm interested in reading. So yeah, I could see that. But yeah, that's uh, what I, think, I had to say about that. And uh, I'm glad that I read far enough into the series to get to the wait, <laughs> I'm the real seal of that tonight. <laughs> Uh, I, I will definitely say, though, I enjoyed this one, and I think I can recommend it. That's, like, I guess the biggest takeaway I want to say is that I was like, you know what? This is not at all what I expected. I agree that I probably won't continue reading it at any point, but I did definitely say, like, you know what? In my sick, cl- like, phased cloud over this year, I'm like, this is one of the better ones we've read so far in 2020, right? For recommendations. <sighs> It's definitely, I think, one of the more memorable ones in term that is memorable for its actual surprise in terms of good quality. Yeah. So I get I, I think that I mostly agree with that. And uh, we're going to be reading a series uh, this coming month that uh, you chose because it's uh, kind of stupid. So, we'll yeah, see. there we go. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh. All right, let's uh, get into our regular series now. 
Beginning with My Hero Academia. Yeah. Chapter number 282, Footfall of Destruction. Uh, Deku's really pissed off at Shigaraki, so he tries to kill him, basically. Um, I think that if you are grappling onto some the back of someone's neck and you're smashing your hand down in a hammer motion on the back of their head as hard as you possibly can, if they die, you're going to jail. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what he tries to do. Meanwhile, Shigaraki is also embedded fist deep in Ryukyu's hand. He's got a quirk destruction bullet in said hand, which he flicks out at the exact moment Riku realizes that that's what's going on. Deku tries to kill Shigaraki, and somehow Shigaraki A, throws the bullet, B, Bakugo blows up the bullet in his other hand, and C, catches Deku's arm in his mouth? Which I don't know how he managed to do that from the position he was in. Maybe double jointedness is one of the many, many quirks that he has at his disposal. Except that he's got his quirks. I don't know. But he catches his arm in his mouth. That's all that matters. The bullet goes flying. It hits Aizawa in the leg so hard that his leg twists around. So, ow. Uh-huh. Aizawa has realized already what is what Shigaraki is trying to accomplish and he has taken out his knife and he thinks about Eri as he thinks thanks to knowing what he was trying to do from Ryukyu's warning I can handle this nice and rationally without any hesitation and he I guess cuts his leg off. He, he does cut his leg off, Nick. So this, the first half of this chapter is borderline incomprehensible unless you stop and like out loud say what happens in every single panel, which is the only way I came away with any kind of understanding. But even then, there's definitely a couple things that like don't add up. Like I remember last week, it was supposed to be a big thing that Endeavor was running and he's like, one punch is all it takes. And I guess he just didn't do it this week. He was like, ah, I can't. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, but yeah, he he goes, he shoots uh, Endeavor, not um, uh, Aizawa in the leg. And Aizawa takes the knife out and then like in the top panel of the next page has already actually done it. And, and he's done it in a way where it doesn't really make sense, uh-huh. given the position of the knife in the previous page, the position of the knife in the second panel, and the way that his leg is like Hanging. has moved after he cut it off. There's also no panel of his knife on the leg or anything like that. Like we could definitely tell that's what he's attempting to do. But it's his knife in his hand, and then the next time we see it, his leg has just been cut off. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess it happened. And you can gather that by being like, oh, and that's why Shigaraki's like, yep, that's all I need, though. You're going to flinch when you cut off your leg. That's all I really needed. But it's still like, there was a moment after when I first read this, I was like, did he cut off his leg, though? <laughs> I didn't know. Literally, before we started recording, uh, Nicole was asking me about this chapter because she had read a few spoilers. Uh, and, of course, you know, the parts of the fandom that she tends to associate with they're like oh no i saw i cut his leg off 
Uh, and so she asked me, was like, did I saw cut his leg off? And I was like, well, I mean, he got hit with the quirk destruction bullet and it looked like he was going to cut his leg off. And then I started reading it for this and I was like, oh, I guess he did cut it off. <laughs> so, it, uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah, you would have assumed that panel would have gotten more focus. And I think part of it is like wanting to be discreet mm-hmm. in terms of that, the visceral violence of that moment to which Chainsaw Man and Bleach are looking over like pussy. <laughs> it, it doesn't I'll, take, I'll take a leg off here. Yeah. Kubo's like, wait, you guys don't have like an ar- arm full of dismembered, like a bag full of dismembered arms you throw into the air like confetti. <laughs> It, it it feels like, yeah, you, maybe you were trying to avoid being, like, brutal, but at the same time, there are tactful and artistic ways you could still very clearly to your audience get across the point that your character's foot is gone, rather than, like, the panel with the least amount of movement and attention in it being like, oh, I, yeah, I guess, yeah, there it is right there, it's gone now. Literally, you could have this exact panel, but, like, everything is, like, cast in darkness except Aizawa and his leg. And it would give a much better impression of what has happened. So, yeah, seemingly Aizawa has gotten the has kept his quirk by cutting his leg off in this moment. But he yeah, he had he flinched because, ow. And as a result of that, Shigaraki is no longer uh, nullified by his quirk. So he throws off Deku, who tries to reach out with his black whip. Shigaraki gets away from everyone and dashes in towards uh, Aizawa to try and finish him off for good. And he reaches out and puts his entire hand over Aizawa's face. And I'm not sure if he's in this, in this case, this is like an okay bit of confusion because I'm not sure if he's starting to disintegrate Aizawa or if he's just digging his hands in that hard to make like notches in his forehead. Yeah, I think he I think he's just like digging into his forehead so hard, like with yeah. his grasp, which it looks as though I guess also this is another thing that Aizawa doesn't disintegrate after this, presumably because he's got his eyes open again and he's just staring up at Shigaraki. Mm. Uh, ice comes out of nowhere and kills Shigaraki, except Shigaraki's invincible, so he's fine. Uh, Todoroki has arrived on the scene to help out. And Shigaraki realizes, oh, that one time when I was tracking bleepy blips, uh, <laughs> there was a third light that was following Bakugo and Deku. So he must have been the, the guy following them. Deku comes in, punches Shigaraki in the ribs, punch, punch. Uh, Deku and Todoroki gets uh, Manuel and Aizawa to safety, but Shigaraki looks like he's out, like he's just unconscious after this. Shigaraki uh, has a big dramatic, you know, coming out of the dust moment. And he says, oh, you can delay all the inevitable all you like. Destruction is all that awaits you. And he's got this big happy grin on his face while he's covered in scars. We cut over to all the other kids, the ones who are in charge of evacuating. And they're like, where is, where are they? Where's, why is Todoroki gone to? Um, and some of the citizens, meanwhile, are looking, are watching a news report on their phones. And so they, the, the kids listen in and there, there is an evacuation order going out because Gigantomachia is rampaging 
across the countryside to make his way over towards Shigaraki. And there is this huge list of cities that are in the projected route. We see the bodies of people, of heroes who failed to stop Gigantomachia. Looks like Yairose's group uh, is not among the bodies, but they also, of course, failed to stop him. And uh, Uraraka realizes, oh, most heroes are away for this mission. So basically, there's nobody left to answer this call now that there's this new emergency. As we see Gigantomachia starting to trample his way through a city. And there are people on the streets completely unaware of what's going on as he starts crushing through buildings. So, this chapter, much better understanding what happens in the second half than the first half. Yeah. Uh, Eventful chapter. I was going to say, like, despite the fact that I spent most of it being like, so this is what I think is happening, because I mean, the art's almost incomprehensible at times, and the the sequencing's awful. This is a really cool chapter. (laughs) Like, I don't know, like, it was cool for Todoroki to show up and, and save the day for that moment, and Deku to get that really big hit in. It looks like Aizawa's gone unconscious, though. Like, his his eyes are mm-hmm. closed, so it's like, uh-oh. So how they, yeah. How are they going to deal with Shigaraki when he's got all of his quirks at his disposal? And now, so. then there's just the, the abject fucking terror that is like, hey, the villain's going to, like, they're, like, the report's like, this thing's going to go through, like, 16 fucking cities. Yeah. And, the, like, the kids who are left are like, wait, no one else is around anymore, are there? Like, no, what? No one else is really left to stop this thing but us, is it there? Yeah. So it's it's a very cool, very tense situation. Um, this chapter, the only thing I think is, I know Shigaraki's like super intense into his like, I will win, I will win. But this was a moment though where I was like, is he supposed to lose here? Cause he's reached that point where he's just become like an incomprehensible babbling person. Like he, he he's like law, like half his teeth are missing. Cause he's like, I'm going to bite down really hard on your arm to steady my shot. I think is what he attempted to do there. And like his eyes are glazed over. Like there's, there's no sense of like an intelligent villain left anymore. And that's usually when they have to kind of go down. Cause like, mm. uh, I don't know what you can really do with them beyond this. It is definitely a thing that I think that we were kind of having concerns about even at the beginning of this chapter. It's like, I mean, it doesn't seem like the part where the whole story comes to a conclusion, but what else is there to do after this? Yeah. So I guess we'll find out. We shall. So we have to go back to the past for a little bit. (gasps) We're going to go back in time. So last week. I don't know how that one goes. Okay. Uh, I, 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 if you had launched into the Black Eyed Peas created uh, Samurai Jack theme, I could have backed you up. Back but, to uh, the Jack. Back to the Jack Samurai Jack. Jack. Oh, that's what, the end what, of it. What, watch out. <laughs> that's like, I guess that's the end of Shinobart. It, it just goes on a loop, yes. <laughs> There's no other lyrics. <laughs> hey, sometimes it's all you need. Will I Am's like, pay me. <laughs> Probably the best so, song they've did, so. Uh, last week we covered Kaiju number eight, chapter eight, um, forgetting that the week before we didn't cover chapters and there was also a chapter of Kaiju number eight that came out that week. Fortunately, Kaiju number eight has 
now revealed that it is going to be on a schedule of three weeks of updates followed by one week off uh, from now on. And as it so happens, this week is one of its weeks off. So let's just go back in time and briefly cover chapter seven in place of that. Uh, so this kind of like gets us up to the point of, uh, was it, his name? God, her name is weird. Kuruku? Kuroko? Kikoru. We basically, like, this is where we get our actual insight into more of Kikoru's past, uh, her relationship with her father, as opposed to just like, oh, I have to live up to his example. I, We actually see uh, a little bit of how she was raised and how she had it driven into her mind that she had to be perfect for the sake of the nation. And so she is, you know, standing up against this kaiju that she can't possibly defeat because she's like, I have to be perfect. I have to stand up for the nation. And that, of course, is when it bears down on her. And she's like, oh, God, I, I can't lose. And we see, you know, more of her past, her acing every test, getting to the top of, of the rankings on everything that she takes. But then when she's pleased with the results, her dad's just like, so you're the top scorer of, of the exams. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you should be doing. So don't fixate on the success. This that'll just make you falter. Go towards the next one. Keep being perfect always and be perfect for your late mother as well. And so that's why she's so doggedly fighting against this thing, because she's like, I have to win. I have to dominate. I must win. And so she's, you know, finding this thing and her arm is broken and she can't lift her gun anymore. And that's when Kafka comes in and saves her ass. So a nice chapter that, you know, really builds up uh, her backstory and mm -hmm. gives more context to the thing that happened in the next chapter where Kafka uh, helps her out and encourages her and tells her, look after yourself better. Yeah. Uh, because clearly she has self-destructive tendencies as a result of a bad upbringing. So. It's also yeah. It is also worth noting that this week we did get the like a, a quote unquote chapter. Which they didn't upload it with chapters, but like basically a yeah. message from the author being like, "So the plan going forward is to do three weeks of a chapter and then a week off." So it's a bit similar to the stuff we get from Spy Family occasionally, yeah. where there's just nice, nice little illustrations like, "Oh, it's nice, yeah. nice to see you doing good." So, uh, yeah. That's that's basically all I really had to say about that. So yeah, it was a good chapter. Good. And then we talked about the one afterwards last week. So future future talk. Uh, let's talk about Eden Zero real quick, Nick. In Zero. Future. Chapter 108. Nadia, love of my life. So last time uh, they found an underwater city on the red planet, red cave or whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just it's like the entire chapter just kind of came flooding back to me all at once. And just it just makes me think it's like. That's, 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 this is a Mashima Hero series. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they they went under and they were like, yeah, it looks like that one little sigil in that underwater city does look like Mother. So they're like, oh, cool. Let's go. Let's go see it. And Cheeky's even like, I want to see sea people. And Wise is like the biggest fuddy-duddy this chapter. Who's just like, yeah, I don't want to see sea people. Oi. And they decide they're going to go anyway. But first they, they look at the, the guy in the ship again and they're like, huh well what should we do and then they they look inside his little ship and they see carved into 
Like the, the dashboard essentially was the phrase Nadia, the love of my life. And there's like a moment of like, well, do we bury this guy? And they don't really come to like a full conclusion. Weiss is just like, oh, we won't bury dead people now. He's just being a real dick. So they, by the way, the, the entire time that they're looking at this guy and they're looking around the ruins and all this stuff, they're like on the seafloor. Yeah. And they've got the uh, special collar things that allow them to Lacrimony. breathe underwater. Yeah. They're just standing on the seafloor, though. They're mm-hmm. not floating like one would in water. So literally, this is just an excuse for a uh, hero to be lazy in terms of how he draws these scenes. Cause it's just like they would have the scene on land, except that the background is muted gray to let you know that they're underwater. Mm-hmm. And that's very disappointing to me because I think that if nothing else, you could have had one more chapter where they're actually moving around like they're underwater. And instead when a sea monster comes out to attack them, they like run to get away from it instead of swim. Yeah. It's very annoying. It's uh, uh, Nick. They use ether. That's probably why ether makes you yes. walk on the seafloor. It's just one of the other properties that have. Uh, they're based... on the rabbit points out. Shiki did it. Yeah. Okay. So he just uses his gravity powers. Very responsibility. So. Uh, so they're walking through the city, and it's mostly full of robots who are all kind of dead. Very similar to Grand Blue. Uh, Rebecca is a ba- like basically says it and stops herself because she's like, oh, I don't want to make Shiki sad but Shiki looks at one of the robots and he thinks back to Grand Blue to all of his friends who were robots who were dead and he's like let's go to the temple and then Noctopus attacks and I don't know why this happens because it serves zero point there's a weird moment where Weiss is like oh yeah they're using the tentacles to wrap up the gears it's what I like and Shiki's like oh punch it oh no gravity doesn't work underwater so he jumps all the way up into the air and then slams back down this is like six pages of the chapter and I don't really get what the point is other than to be like yeah, Shiki, I guess, gra- like, yeah, gravity doesn't work underwater the way you think it does. There you go. Uh, it does have make them flee into a certain ten- temple. Yeah. But they could have just gone into it without this. Yeah, they don't actually, I guess, fully defeat the octopus monster. So I guess it could still be around for later. Uh, they go into the temple. It's very ancient looking. Also, I guess the temple it doesn't have water in it. Like they, yeah. There's a barrier that's that uh, just makes there be air. So now uh, they can just be drawn uh, as if they're not underwater. Yeah. Shiki notes that the aether here feels very familiar. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, like it's kind of familiar, I guess. Uh, and then they're like, hey, you know, we're not underwater. There's this barrier, and then someone shows up, this lady, and she's like, yeah, hey, it's been a while since I've had visitors. This is the temple to the Mother Beacon, and I'm its guardian, Nadia. And then Rebecca's like, Nadia, the love of my life. And she remembers that. I'm like, wow, I wonder if that thing we learned about five minutes ago. (laughs) Nick, the payoff. It's so. (laughs) The payoff. I'm just trying, I'm just thinking about how many nice things we actually had to say during the Valkyrie arc in terms of how, like, there was something set up and there was an unexpected tonal thing that happened and it's just like yeah this is more like i was expecting from from fairy tale 2.0 yeah i really have nothing to honestly even say about this chapter because this just feels like the start of an arc and nothing really interesting has happened so far other than to be like i feel like if 
I was say, other than to be like, if Wise was super annoying, this chapter. Yeah. I feel like if every chapter of Eden Zero were like this, then we would have dropped it too. Yeah. Like, it's just, okay, they did a thing and there was stupid fan service jokes and that's it. That was all. So. Okay. Future. Future rules. Chainsaw Man <laughs> Chapter 82. <laughs> Always eat a hearty breakfast. Last time, Makima ruthlessly butchered power by just pointing her finger and going bang and blowing up her torso. This chapter begins with her and Denji looking down on power's crumpled remains of her body. And then Makima just closed the door and they go back inside. <laughs> there is no indication that she did anything to like get this cleaned up. She's like, all right, that's done. <laughs> that's it. They just close her door. You're like, don't you she just doesn't care? I'm like, don't you live in an apartment? Aren't you kind of worried about people seeing this? Well, she she lives on the entire top floor. Oh, right, right, so right. presumably nobody's going to come along. But still, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So Denji's clearly in shock over what's just happened because he, you know, he's chills with her on the couch for a bit, and you know, then Makima's like, "Oh, our tea's cold. Do you want more?" And Denji's like. Am I, am I, am I dreaming, Ms. Makima? Is that what's, is that what's going on? And he's like, got this weird, like, grin on his face. Like, what's going on? And Makima kind of just stares at Denji for a bit. And then she lies down and puts her head kind of half on his lap, half in his chest. And then she starts giggling. And then she just bursts out laughing and there is just a full page spread of her laughing herself to tears and her dogs are all happy as she's laughing and Denji's just staring down at her as she laughs and laughs and she's just like oh that was funny then you take off your shirt and Denji doesn't know how to react for a bit but then he takes off his shirt after she's like kind of just pushes him a little bit and then she puts herself back in his lap. And she starts kind of playing a little bit with his ripcord. And she says, what, what was that? <laughs> I'm trying to get the future rules, dude, as the background, but it's kind of hard to like, it's kind of hard to scale it. The image isn't great. <laughs> Makima says, in exchange for you living a normal life, Pochita gave you a heart. What you made with Pochita wasn't a promise. It was a contract. So I asked myself how I could break that contract. How could I make you so hurt that you no longer be capable of living a normal life? So damaged that you'd never be able to bounce back for as long as you live. Quite the challenge, isn't it? After all, you felt plenty of happiness, even living in extreme poverty with Pochita. So I decided to begin with making you a lot happier. I gave you a job and money. Fed you lots of delicious food. I provide a family that would get along with you. Aki became a good big brother to you. And Power, the bratty little sister. I'd make that level of happiness your new normal and then destroy the whole thing. Any happiness or normality you experience from this point on, I'll be the one to create it and destroy it all. If you overcome your grief and make friends, I'll kill them immediately. If you get married and start a family, I won't allow your wife and children to live long. And Denji, of course, is just like, 
But why? Because the time has come for you to atone for your sins. I looked into your past. Children's brains are really quite incredible. You see, they can hide bad memories away behind a door without the child even knowing it. You hid what you did behind a door for survival's sake because you'd never be able to lead a normal life otherwise. Your father didn't kill himself. I am your father. <laughs> Maki reveals that, or at least says, that Denji killed his own father in self-defense because he was beating him and it was going to kill him. And that the other grown-ups in his life who were taking advantage of him at the very beginning of the series made his death look like a suicide so that he would still be on the hook for the money that they owed him so that they could get it out of Denji. And so Makima says, but you were finally able to open that door. You helped me kill power. There might have been a way to save Hayakawa, but you killed him too. That's so You even brutal. murdered your own father. Someone like you has no right to wish for a normal life, do they? And she says all this with a happy smile on her face. And we get an image of Denji as a little kid in the alley where he grew up. And Makima's there crouching down to his level. And Denji agrees with her, just going, uh uh. And we get a page of Makima making and eating breakfast. And then a big two page spread of Makima chilling out, eating her food at her coffee table while her dogs are like, give me some food too. And Denji's just lost the will to do anything and is lying on her couch, completely broken. Well, fuck! <laughs> it's brutal, man. It's so brutal. I really don't like... was a good villain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to really say much about this chapter beyond like, well, Jesus, man. <laughs> like... It's so brutal. Like, the fact that the chapter doesn't spend any time lamenting power either. It's just, like, as nonchalant, like, all right, I'm going to close the door on her corpse. Fuck off. No more time for that. It's time for the villain to cackle evilly because their plan has worked out perfectly at this point. And it's, it's like, great, right. great little touch at the beginning right there. It was like, okay, that's done. <laughs> <laughs> I won. <laughs> um... Yeah, so, of course, you know, the question's got to be asked from here. Like, where do you go from here? Like, because there's no one really that you can think of that can come and save Denji from this. The closest uh, thing would be, like, uh, Kishibe, because he's that's at least like the only one. someone the who's only... kind of against her. but And he's the only one we know of that's still alive and is still working against her. Um, Yeah. There's that. Um, there is, I suppose, the possibility that Power's body is over there and maybe she could be saved if someone gives her some blood. Um, but in the meantime, Denji clearly has just given up mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like he will ever come to a point where he's able to come back from this without some external input. Uh, so... Yeah, looking forward to seeing how the hell this is going to go, because I don't think the series is just going to end there, because that would be horribly That'd depressing. That would be so great, though. Man, I wish they would. That'd be so dope. Uh, yeah, uh, no, it'd be very good. Yeah, I, I, it does really make me 
with bated breath await like what is going to happen to get out of this because it seems so final and like so depressingly final. Okay. Um, <laughs> ah! Burn the witch. Chapter number two. Ghillie suit. I don't I, think Kubo's seen someone eat pie before. I don't think he understands how pie works. That You can't eat pie that way. Either like, of those ways. <laughs> They're all bad ways to eat pie. Let alone, forget eat pie that way. You can't pick up pie that way. <laughs> it will fall apart if you try. If you're just gripping it from the end like that, it'll fall off. It'll fall out. And if you're just stabbing it with a knife like that, it'll just slide down the knife. Like, yeah. And it looks like apple pie. I know a thing or two about apple pie, man. So. So. But Nick, they're as this... nice as pie. I don't know what that means because <laughs> they're not nice. Particularly. You don't say nicest pie. You say sweetest pie. Well, Nick, come on. Like, that's now. the expression. He's from a different country, and sometimes I don't care. he gets the colloquialisms wrong and puts Nazis in his series. It's not, that's just a thing. <laughs> you can do both. Shepard opens with a news story, Chris, about how a pop idol left a pop group. <laughs> okay. Well, this was, this was teased last week. Because. Because when Ninny was first spotted in front going London, on a ranch, they, not even yeah. Nick was going on a ranch, he was making a remark about people be, about fairy tales being freaking annoying. Yeah, oh, that was <laughs> recontextualized by the media to make it out that another member of the group that she was a part of that she was annoyed with her. That's like what they're going with the media is spitting this into, and hence Macy Baljour has exited. Cecile died twice. Cecile D twice? Is it German? I, I think is it's it die? C- is it Cecile die twice? I think that's what it is. So someone named Ellie blows up the TV that they're watching this story on, and then we cut away to Noel, who is basically just, you know going about doing house life and stuff uh, in uh, her plant-filled apartment, I guess. And we get this um, indication of like, oh, there's all these dragons around here. Because you see, when they're not dark dragons that are evil and stuff, they, they vary greatly in form and disposition. And the majority of them serve the residents of Reverse London, which is a concept that we still have not entirely explained in full as natural resources of one sort or another. And so there's like one that's like an antenna There's one that just cares for plants. It, you just, it's just a walking plant plant pot that you put dirt in a plant in and that's it. Nick, they're all dry. What a horrible existence. <laughs> uh, and also, witches and wizards use them as fucking buses. <laughs> that dude, that dragon looks so fucking sad, dude. He's just like, just, there are people inside me. He's getting so I won't go. I don't want to be here anymore. Also, uh, the annoying pervert guy, who is the dragon magnet, oh, is Balgo. staying. 
Balgo is staying with her because, uh, and also she is there with him too. And Balgo is so pathetic that Osushi licking his face causes him to nearly die because the tongue is covering his nose and mouth at the same time. Now, that kind of makes sense. I remember at one point my sister got like newborn kittens and they used to lie on your face while you slept and one would lie on your mouth and one would lie over your nose. You're like, I can't breathe. So I guess... If its face is smashed in there, it's a Pomeranian. It kind of blends. So there's a call from Ninny at this point for Noel. And uh, Noel hands him the phone through the dividing curtain she has set up because I guess they're staying together, but he doesn't want her to look at anything she's doing. I don't know. Yeah, it says, so, it says on his side, close till you die, because I guess that she's yeah. like, you better respect my privacy. I'll kill yeah, you if you I, don't. I guess they're staying together because they are assigned to him to make sure that Osushi doesn't do anything and so that nobody attacks him. I guess that's what's going on. Anyway, so Ninny is calling because she's upset about a story that is broken. And we... So... So stupid. Valgo's like, why is Ninny, why do you want me to talk to Ninny? And Noel explains by handing him the newspaper. And Valgo's like, well, I can't do a magic scan. I can only read articles about front London. And so Noel's like, ah. And she taps a button in the corner of the paper, and the entire paper transforms from the London press to the reverse London press. And all of the articles and pictures suddenly change to the reverse London stories. Just get a separate paper. <laughs> no, this is the best way to do it. You make it for so... this bullshit. <laughs> well, because think about it. The, if you're in front London, you can't find out what Reverse London's doing. And if you're in Reverse London, do you give a fuck what Front London's doing? If you're in Magic Dragon London, are you just like, let's see what normal ass boring London's up to? So how does this work then? Does no wait? They they do actually say later that like if. If you die in the game, you die for real, basically. If something happens in reverse London, it's reflected in front London. So presumably, somehow, the stories that are printed in reverse London are actually Link. I mean, if you think too much about it, it makes no sense. But but we can also (laughs) see that, like, Ninny is calling to uh, an iPhone. So who the fuck is getting their news from newspapers anymore? Can I go to, like, fucking reverse London web and just read the news there? So the reason that Ninny is upset is because there's a big front page story about Noel being the wing bind headliner. Oh, because of that dragon that they took down at the very end of the last chapter. She got all this press and stuff. And... Ninny's really upset about it because she's like, I did more than you. Why are you getting the coverage? That happens so rarely for people. And on the front page, even more rarely. And that's what's going on. She yells at Balgo because he's on the phone instead of Noel. And then they get contact from Billy Banks Jr., that weird mustache guy who's been a recurring character in the in the first chapter and the one shot. And he's trying to get in touch with them. And Noel's like, I don't want to talk to him. And Nindy's basically the same way. And she's, and then 
Billy Banks Jr. tells them, well, this is going to get you five times the pay in points, so maybe I guess I'd have to talk to someone else. But when they hear that, they, of course, come over. And uh, so he starts telling them about the assignment, which is in regards to an illegally reared dragon. And so Billy Banks Jr. is like, okay, there's an illegally reared dragon somewhere in the West District of Reverse London. So you're going over there. Nitty wants to know, well, why are they putting us Pipers in charge instead of Sabres or whatever? And he's like, well, you see, your, our job is to rear and conserve dragons, and illegal rearing counts as part of that. So that's why it falls in our jurisdiction. Also, there's an additional request order. You've got to bring Balgo. So they, the three of them set out and fly over to the scene, and Balgo's being annoying. And so they're like, here, put on this mantle and pipe. And it'll sort of make it look like you belong with us. And Balgo says something really stupid about how he's dressed kind of the same as Noel. And then Ninny is like, well, make yourself useful while you're here. And he's like, how? Well, you know, you should be like sensitive to signs of illegally raised dragon. And Balgo's like, I don't have any way of communicating or sensing them. They're just drawn to me. And then she's like, well, then why are you here? Go home. So you were told to bring him. That's why he's there. Like, that's why he's with you. It's not It's not his fault that you don't understand why he's with you. Then they had stopped for some reason. <laughs> but then they smoke in the horizon. They're like, well, let's go over towards that. I mean, they could have had this conversation before they set off or while they were on the brooms. But anyway... So they start traveling again almost immediately after they've stopped. And they are at The Realists, which is the agency that is associated in front London with the group that Ninny's a part of. And so they're kind of in the crowd trying to figure out what's going on. The crowd that's gathered because of the explosion and stuff. Some random dude is like, oh, Ninny, I've got all your albums. Can I get a handshake? And then he's like, of course. <laughs> but then she's like, did you notice anything about the building before or after the explosion? So it's like, all right. I guess that's character building there that she's like, yeah, I'll give you an autograph. Anyway, this is my job that yeah. I'm here for. <laughs> she She's very cool about her front London gig. So Ninny happens to spot up in a window at that very moment someone in the building. And she calls to her broom dragon thing and she flies up there. And uh, Noel's like, oh, I'll go after her. And Balgo's like, oh, okay, I'll go with you. And Noel's just like, no, just stay here and blend in with the onlookers, which won't get me in trouble because I let you have my side at all. Definitely not. So Nanny crashes through the window very recklessly. <laughs> and it's Macy, the girl who left the group at the beginning of the chapter. And he's like, what are you doing in reverse London? And she says, well, this company wrote such a terrible story about how you hated me. And then he's like, yeah, but this is the reverse London office. The ones that published that story are in front London. And she's like, yeah, but if the reverse building is destroyed, the front building will be destroyed in the same way. Or so I heard. I love whenever manga does that. It's just like, I don't know this for sure, but, you know, 
I'm stating it so you can kind of take it as canon that I'm saying this until I'm proven otherwise. So then I can say, so then when someone says, I'll bet that those icicles disintegrating is your timeline and your bonkai, then I can just as easily 300 chapters later say, no, I actually just get way more powerful when that happens. So it's weird because it's not like this is a brand new world. Like reverse London has existed presumably for a very long time. So you would presume the mechanics to how it works would be a well-known thing. And there would be like an authority that would like clearly like state that it would be like, say like, Oh no, that tornado's coming. That might destroy everything in its wake. Be like, well, <laughs> we have enough previous evidence to presumably know what they would do. Like, this shouldn't be a, a, a question. And there was also a weird thing, because, like, I don't know how much of the story is consistent with the one shot, because I know that some things in the one shot were reiterated in chapter one. So I don't know if there are some aspects of this that are kind of, like, not necessarily going to be consistent with the, with the stuff that's house in that one. But in the one shot... Reverse London was thought of as like an urban legend to the people in front London for the most part. But now this random person who seemingly doesn't have like any first knowledge of reverse London is now explaining the way that it works. So do people know about is this a secret or not? It's 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 weird and confusing. Anyway. So this the realists, this publishing group is basically TMZ. So Macy's like, I'm going to kill them all because they give, they, they, you know, they do stuff that's critical of you, Nina. They give you a bad name. I'm here to destroy them. And then he's just like, I don't care. You know, I'm used to it. Wait, wait, what did you just say? That explosion just now, did you cause it? And Macy says, no, it wasn't me. It was this little one. And there's a drag with her and it's got a pointy face and he's like oh man a big dragon you've got to hand that thing over to me Macy and Macy's like this little one's not a thing this is Ellie and Nini says well see you don't know since you don't live here in reverse London but direct contact with a dragon is a felony so how how did she know about reverse London ah <laughs> So Nini's like, listen, no one else needs to find out about this because I'm the only one who knows. But hand it over before anyone else finds it. Macy's like, no. And he's like, you're going to die. And Macy's like, who was it who taught me to never believe anyone when they say they're doing something for my sake? It was you, Nina. Good to know. Informed uh, backstory. Cool. So Ellie the dragon. Uh, um. Gets shot from outside by Noel, who has also flown up now. Mm-hmm. And she recognizes Macy. And Macy is like, who the fuck are you? And she picks up a table and throws it at her. At her and she's like, why are you talking to Nina like your best buddies? I'll kill you. And Noel looks over at Nini like, what the hell's going on? And Nini says, she has feelings for me. She's always like this whenever I'm being friendly with other women. And I was like being friendly with you all right so nini says well we can't deal with her straight on when she's being like this i'm going to come at her from the roof so you stay here and draw her attention you've got guns that shoot magic you can't handle someone throwing a desk at you (laughs) ah well just blew a dragon away (laughs) 
Ninny tries to fly over the roof and reposition, but an explosion goes off and like knocks her from the sky, and Ninny and Noel has to catch Ninny. And then, oh no, Bruno Basby guy, the guy who was at the meeting in the last chapter, is like, "Oops, blew you out farther than anticipated. You're not dead, are you? I'll need to write a this report if you kicked the bucket on the job." And Noel says, "You're." And that's the end of the chapter. <laughs> I love this chapter. It's not good. This is a bad chapter, but I love it because it's Kubo all over again, man. This world, he does world building and he makes it intricate, but then he like misses the details that connect, and he but he still keeps going with it. And I don't think he gets it. And that just kind of makes it better because characters try to explain rules. You're like, are these rules for everybody? Or what's how many people know about Reverse London? How many don't? Like, I thought Reverse London was a secret if you weren't in it. But apparently you could just kind of figure it out. Or I don't know, somebody told you, I guess. But you still need rules explained to you. But Nini doesn't seem concerned that she knows about Reverse London. So I don't know. Who knows what the rules for Reverse London versus Front London are supposed to be? It's all great. And then Bruno Bagnai shows up at the end. Did Kubo, like, lose his ability to explain his world at some point? This, like, was, this, was, this, this was Bleach. This was the same thing that Bleach had. Where you were like, hey, let's explain to Soul Society. All souls go there. But a lot of people are always there. Sometimes people from the real world are there. But I guess souls are also kind of sometimes just, like, born into it. And some have no memories of who they were. And some are eternally, like, eight or something. Like, I don't know. It just works like that. Stop asking the questions. I guess it might just be further exacerbated by this being a shorter form series. Oh, yeah. So it's all condensed into one small package. And so it's happening more frequently within that. So you're like, and also because there is no like getting a feel of the series that happens over time as well. Yeah. So it's just like, you're just kind of like going from gradually swimming out as opposed to being thrown in the deep end right away. Yeah, it's it's but, but that's why I love it. This chapter's nonsense. I don't I have no interest in it. Nothing about it was like fun or memorable or like an intriguing short series to me. It's just noise, but it's glorious Kubo noise, and I have missed it, Nick. The mo as I listen to you describing it and I hear your agitation rising, I'm like, I've missed a good Kubo rant from Nick where you could just tell he's like, all of this is exhausting me. I hate all of it. <laughs> Maybe I should just make you recap whenever my hero academia is confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Cause when I do, it, I'm just like, why did he do this? Um, so anyway, uh, as someone who actually has a more negative um, reaction to this chapter as opposed to the previous one, um, this was much more frustrating to read. So uh, the first one was just like, okay, yep, it, sure, there, there is a Kubo story. Gotcha. And then this one happened. And I was just like, what? How? What's happening? What? <laughs> why are you there? Why, how did you find out about this? Did you know about this before? <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah. All right. Maguchan. Yeah. God of destruction. Uh, Ren invites Ru to go hang out at the beach. 
And he's like, yeah, we haven't really done summary stuff before, even though we're so close to the sea. So, yeah, we could couldn't we do something? And Rio's like, yeah, let's hang out on the coast tomorrow. Cool. And of course, afterwards, Ren's like, oh, are we going on a date? And then we go to the next stage and we get our chapter title, Ruler of the Sea, as Ruru is on a fishing boat and she's basically doing She's basically doing like I'm the, King of the World. Yeah, like the Rocky pose. While, yeah, but that's actually more like what she's doing. While Magu is perched on her head to being like, this is my dominions. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, I've always wanted to go deep sea fishing. And Ren's like, God, I didn't, I didn't want this. And why is Magu here? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and also... He's like, oh, and you've got a, you've got octopus as a pet. You must really love the sea. And Ruru's like, this is Maguchan, the god of destruction. Revere me. It's the best panel in the whole chapter. It's it's so perfect in everything. <laughs> Wash it, me. The previous panel introduces this character, by the way, of fisherman. He never he's an important it's character fisherman. without this <laughs> chapter. He is not given a name at any point. He's just fisherman. Fisherman walks up, says, "Nice octopus pet. This is Maguchan, god of destruction." Revere me, never fall. It's perfect. That is that is comedy in a single panel. So Magu is given a fishing pole because this fisherman, even if he thought Magu was an octopus, is not blinking at this octopus fishing. He's with like them. the octopus better fish too. Come on, <laughs> it's got to be. You got to pay for that. <laughs> Ain't the first octopus I've seen fish before, you know. So Magu is like, ah, I understand the purpose and structure of this. And he immediately gets his hands tangled in the fishing line. I love that he's kind of doing like the uh, like the dad thing, too, where he's like slapping it. Like, how much horsepower we got under this thing? (laughs) But he's just slapping the reel and then he gets stuck in it. Uh, Ruru, in true Ruru fashion, is just like, let's have a competition. And she says, whoever catches the biggest fish wins. And Magu's like, I shall capture all the living creatures in the sea. And Ren's like, I can impress Ruru this way. Uh, So they start fishing. Ruru is insanely good at this. She she catches three fish in one cast, and they're all giant mackerel. Uh, uh, And Ruru's just like, fishy's great. And Ren's like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, and then he's like, "Hey, Ruru, um, how how are you so good at this?" And Ruru's like, "It's simple. I become one with the sea." She gets this demented, creepy look on her face, and the fisherman is just like, "Oh yes, this gal, she was real." It's 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 like a sports manga in a way. We're just like, there's you know. Uh, an old expert on the side, like I haven't seen casting like this since I show 21. <laughs> so Ren's like, Oh, come on. I gotta try and do this. Uh, but then Magu is like, Oh, you're so disgraceful. You know, letting yourself get all agitated. The truly strong, just sit and wait. He's meanwhile, stuffing his mouth with baits and Ren's like, you're just, you, you've clearly given up. But Magu says, my fish is already on its way, fool. And he's got one of his tentacles over the side of the boat. And he's dragging his tentacle along the bottom of the sea. And he pulls it back up. And he's got crabs and and urchins and seaweed clinging to it. 
And he's like, behold how amazing I am. And of course, Ren's just like, just got a bunch of useless garbage. But both the fishermen and Rue are like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Praise me. Uh, so Ren is like, oh, I, I, I gotta do something. I gotta do something. Uh, so he goes over to the chum while he's watching Magu eat it like a fucking pig he is. And so he's like, all right, I'll use the chum and then I'll cast the line over here. Oh, I got something. I got something big. Uh, and Naputaku comes up. <laughs> so immediately Ren tries to throw Naputaku back in the ocean. And then he just clambers back over the side of the boat. And Naputaku says, I came to the ocean to find something to eat. <laughs> Leave me alone! <laughs> so, Ruru sees Naputaku and is apparently treating him like a catch for Ren and is just getting more fired up by this. The fisherman's like, huh, that's a weird looking starfish. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so, Naputaku learns about this uh, fishing competition and so he decides to use his madness bark, his frenzy roar, his bark of madness to take control of the fish and make them jump in the boat. Sounds like a solid plan to me. Fucking giant shark comes out of the water and jumps out of the water and then comes down on the other side of the boat. Ren, of course, is freaking out like, oh, my God, we're going to die. And this giant fin is up out of the water. Naputsuko has been dragged into the water by by it. Ren's like, oh, my God. OK, if we don't provoke it, then maybe we'll be safe. Ruru's like, I'm going to catch it <laughs> immediately. She's got like a pair of cool glasses on. The fisherman's like, the boat's broken. We're taking on water. We're going to die. <laughs> so... It's up to Ren, the 12-year-old, to take charge of the situation. And so he's eventually like, there's only one person I can turn to on this boat who's not completely lost it. And he looks at Magu, and Magu's like, you turn to me again, you pathetic human. Uh. But of course, Magu wants something in return for this because he's a little shit. So he says, if you acquire more disciples' names for my book of bl disciples that I will help you. All right, lowly humans, hold on so you aren't thrown overboard. And he uses his eye beam to shoot the boat back to shore. And yay! Um, the fisherman is thankful. Magu demands that uh, the fisherman prostrate himself before them. Uh, Ru is like, that was fun. Let's do it again. Uh, then he's like, but I'm a little bummed out. I was no match in that fishing competition. I won't let you beat me next time, Naputakun. And of course, Naputaku is being chased by the shark. The shark who now thinks that Naputaku is his beloved leader. Uh, so there we go. Very funny chapter. A lot of great jokes in it. So. Yeah, I really love the first half. Uh, once Naputaku showed up, I was a little less into it. I feel like there's a really perfect comedy trio between Ren, Ruru, and Magu, like they all play off each other really well. So I almost don't need anything else than that. And I think that Naputaku is less interesting than uh, a less entertaining character than Shion or not Shion. I forget his name. The, the, the swordsman guy that was the hook of the last couple of chapters, because he's just kind of Magu, but less entertaining well, because he's more pathetic. He's not so. even really like Magu in the way because 
Magus' humor is really how he looks at this world in a very odd way, and he's just very blunt with all of his, like, praise me, revere me, I'm awesome. And, like, it's a kind of adorable thing that, like, Rue has it. When Deputo shows up, like, honestly, like, you could change him out with, like, a mean bully. And, I don't, I, like, if you just work, wrote yourself around him having, like, mind control powers, it would work exactly the same way. Like, it really doesn't feel like they play too much to the actual humor of him also being a small cosmic god. And the same, like, Magu has it, like, kind of perfectly yeah. in the world. And uh, Napu is just always going to be like, oh, it's another thing. Yeah, and I think that him being the butt monkey, I think, kind of wears its welcome after a little bit. And he should be in the series as much as he is as a result. Mm. It is weird. We're nine chapters in. There's two side characters and they show up all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was kind of hoping maybe we'd slow down a little bit. But eh, hey, what are you going to do? Still good. All right. Let's move on from there to our new series, Phantom Seer. Chris, you like fucking Exorcist series? Have another one! No, they're shaman, Nick. It's different. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Nick, do they use Japanese ghosts? Yes. Oh, no, then it's the Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's the same thing what, again. Do they use ceiling talismans? Yes, <laughs> oh, they do. <laughs> oh, dear. I think it's the same thing, then. Phantom Seer. Uh, chapter one, the boy with psychic powers. I just want to get through this as fast as I fucking can. The main character of this series is a dick. The girl is much more endearing. Uh, Riku, I think is her name. Uh, she has this bizarre ability. No, Riku is the girl's name. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, she has the ability to seemingly sense danger. Um and she actually starts to come to see uh, spirits that seem to be haunting her and causing trouble for the fr- her friends as they surround her. This phantom seer guy shows up and he has been instructed by his mother to take her with him on this mission and stuff. Turns out she's got this spirit hanging around her and eventually we learn most of the way through the chapter as they're on this uh, train card that takes them into like a reverse world, like the, the upside down, almost in uh, from a. I forgot the name of the series, things. but yes, the upside down uh, kind of place that uh, Riku's ability to sense danger is more a side effect of her being a magnet for dangerous phantoms, and so she has actually been the cause of the stuff the problems that her friends have run into uh which by the way one of them was a a driverless car nearly hitting her friend which is like i mean you should have just known from there like because that's a very unusual thing and i thought at the beginning of the chapter is like is this like gonna be dunking on driverless cars what the fuck because it has a different writer but the artist of the series did Tokyo Shinobi Squad. And so I was just like, okay, I'm just going to brace myself for like really <laughs> weird worldview things again. Uh, but then it turns out it's because of these things that are actually haunting her and causing trouble because she's attracting phantoms and danger. When she discovers this, she actually lets herself be pulled away by uh, one of the more destructive phantoms that is haunting her. Uh, an Okubi 
which is basically its entire body is just a face and it's going to try and eat her and take her face. But uh, Katanagi, the guy who was taking her with him on this mission, learns about this and, of course, goes after her and saves her butt. And it turns out that he has a phantom under his dominion, a phantom that can manipulate shadows and is super dangerous uh, called Ongyoki. And basically he says, like, if I ever summon this thing when there is no other phantom for it to kill and eat, then it will kill me. Uh, there's a pretty cool fight sequence with some interest, some kind of cool artwork here and there. Uh, and uh, he kills the Okubi and uh, yay. And then afterwards, uh, Katanagi is like, hey, hey, don't worry about what happens. Riku, Riku is like, but I attract phantoms. I'm just going to cause trouble for people around me. And uh, Katanagi said, basically, he goes against something that his mother had told her over the phone, which was, hey, you know, sometimes people have dreams that just don't match up to their talents. Sometimes someone who could be a very great athlete wants to be a painter and they just don't have the skills for it. But uh, Katanagi says, hey, I think it's OK for a painter to want to become an athlete. You can still try and live a normal life. Even if you have a powerful phantom haunting you, you can still want to help others. Even if you attract phantoms, your hopes and your talents might not align, but that doesn't mean you can't, you have to deny your feelings and you don't have to deny yourself. And this really reaches Riku. She starts crying and she starts to thank him for his words. But then he's like, and as for me, I'm going to be a normal kid. And he starts to leave her behind. But before he get away, his phone rings. Uh, and uh, she, she's like, Hey, so you have to keep protecting Riku from now on. Like every time we find a girl like that, who someone who like that, who attracts phantoms, they're be beckoning hands. And we have a rule that states that if we find them, we have to protect them. So it's your job now for now on. And uh, that's basically it. That's where we start off our series with this psychic boy and danger prone girl. So. Uh, so I actually ended up liking this first chapter quite a bit. Um, there's some elements to it. I really enjoy the art is really good, especially in creating like a horror sense. There's a moment that is fantastic where they first like, they're like, oh, our train car must have gone somewhere. And there's like a full page basically of her like moving to go like get the buzzer. And then she turns and she faces the main hero and then she like presses her head down against his chest. And she's like, they're all looking this way. They're watching. And like she drops her bag and you get like four straight panels, not seeing it until you get basically a huge page just dedicated to showing all these eyeballs looking in from the train from outside. And it's a really terrifying kind of visual. Uh, there is also some weird stuff too, though. When she goes to push him out of the way, she like gets grabbed by like the monster's hair, and it's a like kind of like a like a feels like a, a BDSM position. And I was like, oh, but that's fine based off the way she looked, like the way she was when she got grabbed. That's how she would look. She's about to get pulled into the monster's maw, uh, but then the monster just takes her to the next room and releases her, and then is going to eat her again. I was like, that's a weird sequence. That now I just feel like that pose really was there for kink uh, for kinky reasons. Um, well, and also when they, when, um, by the way, sorry, uh, you, uh, the girl that's talking to them over the phone is, uh, his sister, not his mom. Okay. Don't care. Um, <laughs> but when she's giving this explanation of like, you know, your power attracts phantoms, there's this 
silhouetted image behind Riku, like a visual of herself with these phantoms phasing through her body, except like she's naked in the visual and like her breasts are flopping around. And it's like, is this like this seems counterproductive to have <laughs> that titillating imagery in this horrifying moment. Yeah. Uh, it, this is, uh, look, I will not say this is like a crazy good series. This is my chapter of the week or anything like that. But I, I, I came away being like, okay, I'll, I'll read more. It like it had an uphill battle just by being another kind of exorcist series, but I'm slightly intrigued. Now, I think the next chapters could kind of go immediately into the stuff that I'm going to fear because I worry that Riku's just going to be a bland protagonist girl. I kind of saw like a moment where she almost looks like she was going to be like a Uega type where she's just like this overly sweet kind of character. And I was like, I could play into that. That feels like that needs to be the 2010 or 2020 like stereotype for like the edgy badass was to the 2000s like everyone's like ah, i'm done with that character i just want those nice dudes who just like hang out they're super cool to everybody um, everyone should be joe keto yeah <laughs> but uh you know it, it's it's got some issues and I'm, I'm concerned it might fall into some of those but for the first chapter i was like you know what this is not the worst i mean it is nice to actually have it laid out like hey we've got our two protagonists and we have and we know what they want to do with their lives uh, they're kind of both bland, not bland, but nebulous goals because main dude is just like, I just want to be, be left alone, have normal life, which is like, OK, you know, whatever. And it's kind of a boring ambition because it's like, OK, clearly he's just going through this stuff just so that he can get to the end. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, not really what you really want in a protagonist's drive. Yeah. You want them to have like, I'm doing this because I want to do this. As opposed to, I'm going to do this so I can get it over with, you know? Yeah, um, I think. But okay. I do really like the idea that Riku really wants to be able to help people, even though her being around people is a danger to them. I think that's a nice character conflict uh, to overcome. So, yeah. <sighs> well, Chris. The time has come. <laughs> The end of time paradox, Ghost Rider. Ding! Final ch- Your plagiarism is done. Final chapter, chapter 14, back then. Last time we got an entire chapter of Tepe writing manga and researching manga and writing more manga. <clears throat> and he ends the time freeze by touching Mirai the robot in his apartment and sets things in motion. Again, we see things uh, beginning once more, you know, like a a cop falls to the ground. uh, A bird starts flapping its wings again. That kid whose ice cream cone he saved is like, Oh, I thought I was dropping this. Uh, So, Hey, good job. You saved an ice cream cone. Even if your, your plan to save, I know failed. You saved that kid's ice cream. Good Uh, job. I'd be great. (laughs) If this kid was like, Oh man, after this ice cream, I really can't wait to get onto some QAnon forums and start posting conspiracy theories. This ice cream's really motivating me. You're like, no, Tepe, you created a monster. You know, I never really liked Fullmetal Alchemist until I heard the English dub. Who's that guy who voices Edward Elric? I'd follow him to the ends of the earth. (laughs) So, uh, Tepe, kind of oddly, as he watches the world come begin moving again says I did it which is like 
I, I'm not sure if that's the exact comment you want to be making in that moment. But I okay. really wish you played more to the idea that he's been alone for 34 years. So he was just like, bah! Bah! like he didn't, he's lost the ability for human speech. So he just touches the robot, shows up at Ayano's house, like, bah! throats just throws manuscripts at her and then runs away fleeing into the night and she's like well that was Shouldn't weird jump author tepe sasaki was committed today <laughs> she's like well that was weird i guess i'll stop trying to kill myself with manga and the robot's like i never thought about it if i just acted insane it would fix everything <laughs> just a little toy robot shows up at her door <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Tepe tries to call Aino, but, uh, her phone's been disconnected. So Tepe instead runs over to her apartment and, uh, she answers not the door, but like the, she answers her security camera basically. And it's like, what, what is it? And he just says, well, I want you to read some storyboards that I made. And Aino's like, well, I'm busy right now. But Tepe says, Hey, okay. I'll leave these outside your door, but you have to swear that you'll read them. And I was like, why are you doing this? And he just says, because I think this manga can beat anima. And he drops the manuscripts off and he's got like two duffel bags full of these. And then he leaves. So, Aina looks out of sight of her door and she's like, holy shit, there's so many. <laughs> there's so much of this. Just how much of this did he write? And she starts reading it immediately and all the page glows. So time passes. And He's like, I, know... I realized if I installed an LED into my manuscript, it would make her think that the manga was immaculate <laughs> and change her mind. She wouldn't kill herself. It's like uh, it's like the episode of Community where uh, Jeff's bought the the glowing uh, briefcase, and it's just like, yeah, it's that it's the briefcase prop from from fiction that has the light bulb inside it. <laughs> uh, so Aino rushes over to Tepe's place and insistently rings his doorbell over and over and over and over again until he answers, and she's like, Te "What is that?" Manga? Tepe what? in his mind, he's just kept hearing like uh, some voice say, "Don't open it." Don't open the door. And he was like, no, Nakima said it's okay. Future devil, what are you doing here? It's rules! <laughs> and then Ayato dies. So, She's like, no! She died in the worst way for you, <laughs> the manga boy. <laughs> I don't like this tone being in this series. <laughs> Tough shit. Now I'm off to kill Zoro. And he flies away. You're like, no! Future Devil! Every single issue, every single series of Jump just stands with the protagonist slumped over on the couch, depressed and given up on the world to live. And just him like, yes, 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 future rules, future rules, future rules. That's right, I gave you the dark seventh ending where all five of your love interests die. <laughs> I actually I did had... kill Senku. <laughs> I had five love interests? Yeah, you never realized any of them because you're dense like this. <laughs> but now you have to face, live, continue living on with the weight that they all loved you and they died for you. <laughs> the future rules. Also, your sister's really into you. <laughs> so I killed her too. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 
I'm, I haven't decided whether to kill her or if I just want you to live with the with the fact that your sister wants your dick and what. I don't know what. Oh, I'm not sure which is worse either. I'll let you figure it out. Future devil out. And he he flies away like a rocket ship. <laughs> He's having the time of his life though. Readers all over Jumper just like, well, I guess I'm happy for Future Devil. <laughs> he's having the time of his life. He Every chapter he's in, he's loving it. It's a shame about everything he does along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Aino has arrived at Tepe's place and she's like, Sasaki-sensei, what is that manga? How did you do that? So many nipple shots. You must have consulted with Hero so much. <laughs> but she's like it's so good that's a manga that all of humanity can enjoy and she's got this big happy smile on her face and then she's like oh, how did what when did you do this and she's like were you like working on this at the same time as white knight is that why white knight hasn't been as good lately <laughs> which is a really biting thing to say because <laughs> it's like oh right white knight started sucking recently because it was not copied from her work anymore so Tepe is hesitant on how to respond, but then she's like, again, such a genius manga, there's no way I can ever top it. I've always wanted to draw a manga like that, but I give up. I'm not trying anymore. And Mirai the toy robot's like, told you! <laughs> <laughs> so, Tepe is like, what, do you mean you're not going to draw manga anymore? But I know clarify saying I have always dreamed of drawing manga that all of humanity could enjoy. And it was a vision that consumed me of how wonderful it would be to make something for everyone, not just some people. But in my case, it was only because I was terrified of the thought of anyone not liking it. But that wasn't the only reason I drew manga. <laughs> just reading from her script here. It's because I just plain love drawing. The thrill of building up a story, the joy of putting a vision onto the page. And over time, I forgot what these things were like, especially lately. I feel like my enjoyment of drawing was the most pure and joyful when I was a child. But after reading the manga that you brought to me, it's strange. Reading that made me remember. I remember how it felt just to draw for the sake of having fun. So I've decided that my new dream should be to enjoy drawing the way I did back then. And Tepe says, well, that's great. And thank you for saying that. But the truth is... I drew that manga specifically for you. And I know is, of course, confused by this. And Tebe explains, I'm glad that it reached you the way that I intended. But this is not a manga. This is not meant to be a manga. All of humanity can enjoy. I respect you for having the ambition to try and do that. But I feel certain it's impossible to create something that every single person will love. And what's wrong with that? Just enjoying the process of creation makes you happy. As long as someone else out there in the world gets it, even if you're just two of a kind, wouldn't that be a great stroke of luck? Now, I think this is a very good moral. Uh -huh. Like, this is a good message. And it's nice that it's, even if it's very bluntly put forward this way, to say, like, hey, if you try, if you kill yourself trying to perfect something because you want everyone to like it, you will just drive yourself to madness and possibly to death. That said, I did not see a single hint of this moral anywhere in this series until this point. I think that it might just be that 
it was some, going to be something that might be developed over time eventually. And it just didn't get the chance to until the last minute. But I did not see this theme through the rest of Time Paradox Ghost Rider. It was an idea that was alluded to was the it was just, you know, this ambition of Inos to create something that all of them, that everyone could enjoy. And that was just kind of it. It was just like, that's what she's trying to do. There was a small element early on that it was like his original manga is what gets her motivated. This idea that even though in, you know, I guess original timeline and prior to him plagiarizing Ghost uh, White Knight or whatever, he still created something that manages to connect with Ayano that she's like, this was what kind of got me into it. So there's a level of that. Plus there was this, you know, the moral of, of Tepe at the very start where he's, he just kept trying. He's like, this isn't good enough. There's no personality yet. There's nothing, et cetera, et cetera. There's a small level of this kind of present. Now you said, we only got 14 chapters. Maybe this would have been expanded upon more. The thing that hurts this moral to me is we don't get a single example of how he catered this manga specifically for her. Probably because we never found out any actually interesting personal details about Ayano. Like, what kind of character or stories does she like? What sort of things does she enjoy that most people don't? What what did he put into it? Because, you know, when you look at last chapter, it really feels like Tepe took that deal without a single fucking clue what he was supposed to do because he went back and tried to finish drawing White Knight and kept doing it and eventually made a new series. So he didn't, like, make that deal with Mirai knowing he's like, I need to create the series specifically yeah. for her. It's something he's like, well, 34 or so years later, eventually I figured it all out. And you're like, all right, like, the message is there. This end doesn't really hit home because, like, despite that message, there's nothing personal really in the exchange between Tepe and Ayano. And I think that a part of it is that, in a sense, Time Paradox Ghost Rider did not take its own advice. Not in the sense of, you know, it was definitely trying to appeal to everyone because I think that this is such a bizarre series in terms of the sci-fi elements and the fact that it's about making manga that you can't think of anything other than it being just like a weird idea that would probably greatly appealed to people involved in the business of creating manga and publishing manga. Um, and so I think that it set out in terms of like trying to get that idea across of like, you know, struggles that, you know, being an artist comes along with and throwing in this sci-fi element to try and make it seem more broadly appealing. But I think that one of the reasons why we don't get an impression of why of who Tepe and Aino really are as characters and thus that the manga was not catered to Aino by Tepe is because the series was trying to do too much all at once and trying to hit every point instead of focusing on certain points at a time and gradually expanding out. And you can construct a story that way, but if you run out of time, it's going to feel like nothing was developed very much as opposed to at least one thing was developed. And so I think that that idea of like, you know, trying to reach, you know, just a few people, as is kind of the same as like just trying to hit a few points that you that you want to make and then worry about the rest afterwards. I, like I said, I think this is a good message, but 
it really seems to come out of nowhere in this chapter. And then we get just kind of some closing stuff after this. There's a joke afterwards where I like, gosh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to draw something as good as that. What's your secret? How'd you do this? And Tepe's like, it's eating right and getting proper sleep. And that was that was part of the moral of the story. And I like, it was. <laughs> but he's like, OK, I get it. It doesn't really sound that convincing coming from you, though, which is like, yeah. And we just get, you know, passage of time after that. Uh, we just get a cut ahead to 10 years later. And both I know and Tepe are just older now when they're still making manga. And that's the end. And it's a sweet little thing to end on. It's just like they're both still making manga. We don't know if they're both still published, but they're happy. Yep. They're happy making manga. And that's the important thing. And that's cool. Yep. There, look, so ultimately, I don't want to place too much blame on the author here because it does seem like there was some anger against it. I've, I've heard people say that uh, the plagiarism stuff did not go over well in Japan, so much so like specific terms to plagiarism were removed from the first volume printing in Japan. Wow. Uh, changed. So I, maybe there was just something from the outset that really was going to be working against the series. It had a very short run of 14 chapters. It didn't get a time to do a whole ton of a lot. And eventually it did just go off the walls bonkers. And that stuff's great. I don't really want to put a lot against this series because ultimately I did enjoy it. I think the moral is a little bit kind of cloudy, but at the same time, it's, you know, a series that didn't have, it probably knew it was getting canceled like four chapters ago and really had to kind yeah. of wrap a lot of things up. You know, there's a lot of stuff that never got followed up on. The mentor between uh, the, the old man at the park. Everyone was like, that's future Tepe. Never gets addressed. It's probably not. I guess it was just the old guy who was really nice. All of Tepe's other assistants. I'm sure they all had narratives. We saw a little bit from at least the, the one member. The, the older guy. There was the illusions. There was the illusions also to Tepe's mentor. Yep. who never got brought up again after that point. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that definitely this series wanted to address and just didn't get to. But that said, I still definitely enjoyed it. Um, I do like at the end that this whole big moment happens and it doesn't actually feel like it's meant to be romantic at all. In fact, the end kind of implies they mm -hmm. aren't together because Ayano has a wedding ring on and they're not in the same place. So... Yep. It seems to indicate going to make the same so, observation. So, yeah. yeah. So I do like that. Yeah. they didn't. Go so, that yeah, way. I mean, there were definitely the concerns over that. Yeah, I, I do like that. They didn't go in that direction. And overall, I, I just kind of like the series. I understand didn't have a long run, but pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that it happened because mm -hmm. it was an interesting little thing. Yeah. And uh, when it was bad, it was bad because it was off the walls crazy. So so an unironic congratulations on. Yep. Uh, I, this is as far. Uh, this was as far as I can tell the uh, first chapter written by this author, and uh, I think that if they can tie in some of that stuff up, then I think that they might make a really good manga in the future. So. Absolutely. All right, Nick. Let's move on to question one seventy one. If we never learn a pizza bed equals tomorrow night's pixie part three, so we have a, a beach episode. But hey, we've had too much bikini, Nick. Too much. So yep. this time... Time to explore a different fetish. Yeah. So uh, Asumi is basically acting as an extra bodyguard uh, at Uega's request because she's like, hey, you know what? It's good. If I supervise kids, it's a good experience. Uh, and Uega's like, wow, she looks really hot in that wetsuit. 
And then she teases him. She's like, you were checking me out nuts just now, weren't you? And she calls him Pervy Sensei. And all the kids hear it, so they start calling him that too. But it's a very little sweet moment. Uh, two kids off to the side are there. Uh, Taichi and Now. Now is the girl who called Yuega Derpy before. It was kind of mean to him. And Taichi, I guess, is... He was like, I'm supposed to be like the leader of this group. But now that Yuega's here, everyone just likes following him i don't like my stupid mainlander they're like but assume he's a mainlander too he's like no care she's hot <laughs> uh so uh there he's like all right you help me out now and we cut over and now rides up to you get assuming he's like oh no it's taichi he got hurt in that cave by the inlet let's go so they go in there and, you know, Yuega and Ashumi take the lead. And as they go in, you see Taichi's outside. He's not hurting that cave, Nick. They're playing a trick, tricksty tricks on them. It's bad news. Yep. Uh, yep. They're like, hey, I don't think this is going to be a really good idea. And besides, you were the like the kids like, yeah, don't worry about it. Besides, you're the one who called him derpy. We're going to scare him real good with this. So with a sponge, yeah, with a stick and a sponge, basically. So they're calling out. He throws a sponge on a string and it catches Yuiga on the neck. And he's like, ah, and then falls into Asumi's chest. And they just kind of have like an awkward moment of just like, yeah, what was up with that? You going full on bird? He's like, I have no idea what happened. That was weird. And the kid's just like, damn it. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> He wasn't supposed to like, get like more romantic with her. All right, that's. I do appreciate that that now is getting like more and more unimpressed about this kid's plan. <laughs> like more and more realizing, like, okay, we probably shouldn't have gone along with this. This is a stupid idea. So. Yeah. He also then sets up a big uh, net trap, one of those like trip wire uh, uh, net traps, and he's like, "Good, it'll catch." Uh, Yuega in there and then assume you'll see what a loser he is but they both snap it at the same time so they're both stuck in the neck together I don't know how this makes any sense but I don't know yeah I guess his plan was he's like Yuega will be going first and then they, he's like at some point he's like gosh shit they're both at the same pace fuck this isn't gonna work very well at all is it uh, and then there's just they're like even if it had gone exactly how he planned why does he think Asumi's plan will be like you got caught in that I'm not understanding you at all <laughs> I mean, he's five or whatever. Like, I, he's a dumb kid who just thinks he's like, if he looks lame, then the teacher won't like him. Not understanding that when you get older, maybe you start getting better comprehension for things and understanding context. She might just find that endearing, even. Yeah. yeah. And there's a bit of a moment there because it's like, oh no, we're pressed so tight against each other. Stop wriggling so much. And eventually, Taishi just jumps out and he's like, stop being so cozy with one another. And. They're like, hey, I thought you were injured. He's like, shut up. I hate you, mainlander jerks. And uh, now tries to be like, hey, watch out. Don't go any further. But uh, like that was was past the point of no return. He stepped on a dangerous rock and he's about to fall down a, a hole. Now grabs him. She's going to fall, too. So then you and Asumi jump forward and they grab onto them. They all fall down the hole together. Um, Asumi and now are knocked unconscious. Fainted, basically, I guess is the term. Yeah, they, they, they conveniently fainted so the boys could have a conversation with one another. And Taichi's like crying. He's like, no, you know, when you when I fell, you guys came to help me. And Yuega's like, ah, oh, good, that's a relief. He's like, what about you? Are you okay? He's like, nope, let's get going. 
And he starts to explain, he's like, see, you know, if we don't get out of here soon, because these rocks are different colored, that's where the tide's going to come in. So if we don't get out soon, we're going to drown. And I can't swim, so we got to get out now. And Taiji's just like, well, aren't you mad at me? And he's like, yeah, you're already sorry, aren't you? You know, then we're good. That's what happens. When a student makes a mistake, helping them understand how not to make that mistake again is the teacher's job. So if you're a leader, then you shouldn't take advantage of kids who follow your lead. You should be a guy who could take care of people, right? And Taiji's like, yes, sensei. And we see Nao's awake during that whole process. So she hears all Taiji's nice words, or uh, Uega's nice words. And eventually, Taiji's like, do, do you want to be a guy who could take care of a Shumi? And he's like, yes, I'd like that. She's always been someone I really care about. It'd be nice if she was awake to hear this, but unfortunately she fainted. So she can't hear it oh, at all. She definitely didn't hear it. Definitely yep. hear it. They, they find their way out, by the way. Like, it's not like a dramatic thing or like tense. They're, 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 there's no, the danger is immediately resolved. <laughs> they yes. were like, well, there's a way out right there. Sweet. All right, we're out of this cave. And like, there's a whole thing of like Tai Chi's mom being really upset. And Nao's mom's being very glad she's okay. Uh, now goes to apologize to Uega for calling him derpy and thanks for saving Tai Chi. And then as soon as he's like, hey, let's play in the water. We didn't get to swim all day. And Uega's like, oh, but it'll sting your cuts. <laughs> And I like that she's the doctor, and he's like, he's like, oh, but salt water on open wounds. And uh, she's just in a really good mood. So Uega's like, nah, I guess she just likes ocean. And and she's like, oh, hey, did you mean what you said? He's like, whoa, what do you mean? She's like, oh, nothing. So maybe Nick Asumi was awake the whole time. Maybe Asumi was like, she's like, oh, no, I'm unconscious. <laughs> Carry me, I'm lazy. <laughs> that would be a much better way of doing it. Look, this is not like a complex chapter or anything, but this is a sweet chapter. Yeah. It's it's always good to see Uega at his strong suit, and this is a really good example where he sees this kid and he's like, Look, I'm not gonna beat you up about this. I'm I'm your teacher and I'm here to guide you to be a better version of yourself. It feels very like a chapter that we would have gotten before previously and we never learned before these epilogues and stuff because it's just you know a quick little standalone chapter where Uiga demonstrates a quality that a girl finds nice mm -hmm. you know um but and i i mean I, I i don't really like it that much um because it just kind of feels like it's just filler in a way yeah but there's nothing wrong with the chapter itself. It's a nice little thing, and it does, you know, go move us towards like, hey, you know, Uiga's grown up a bit. Yep. That's nice. So I like the chapter. So it's all right. So let's talk about Doc Stone. Time to get stowed. Z equals 163 multi front final battle. <laughs> Pardon me. Heck. So uh, stuff is happening at the, at the beginning. Senku is actually issuing an, a bunch of instructions at once uh, to Francois. And, you know, like uh, Yuzuri has really upset because she's like, you're supposed to be sleeping, Senku. And Francois is like, look, Senku has decided that he's not going to stop being the science commander. By the way, you've still got all your girlfriends behind you. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> So Francois was like, so I'm, you know, going to let him pass on his commands through me and that in order to allow him to just get his bed rest still. So he's issued the commands. Uh, Luna um, takes a stethoscope in order to check on Senku's lungs. And she thinks a bit and she's like, you know, 
this guy's around the same age as me. And yet in this stone world, all on his own, he built everything one step at a time. So she's like, I, I, I know now that my first impression was correct, that this guy is him. This is Dr. Senku. This is the guy that I was actually sent to find. So she listens through the stethoscope and uh, she's like, yeah, I, I can't let this guy die. I mean, I don't want anyone to die, but this guy really matters. So she listens to Senku's lungs and she's like, well, your left lung feels sounds kind of weaker. I think that there's blood pooling in there. Senku's just like, okay, now all you need to do is take a syringe and suck the blood out. <laughs> and for some reason, Ginro's there. I have no idea why Ginro's there. Why is Ginro there? He's a completely, he does not belong there. He was, he's completely useless in this setting. But even so, he's there. And in order to react, go going, because Senku's basically a corpse stalking. So Luna takes this massive syringe and she's kind of like, she's basically saying it to reassure herself. Like, I'm Luna, the smoothest operator. <laughs> if a doctor comes into the room and is just like, yeah, I'm the smoothest. I'm so capable. So get out. Don't let them operate <laughs> on you. <laughs> but Senku says like, listen, I mean, if my breathing keeps getting weaker after you've sucked the blood out, then that means I've got a cut in my lung. And it's bleeding right into it. So from there, you've got to find a way to, you can't, you just, just ignore the pooling. You've got to stop the bleeding. And I'm going to need a transfusion. You need someone with blood type AB. No, you don't. Because AB is a universal recipient. You're fine, Senku. Take anyone's blood. <laughs> He's like, oh, so, wait, oops. I hate whenever, this is not the first time that I've come across a manga that's gotten this, or I think a manga that's gotten this detail wrong about universe recipients. I think that the first time was in Spider-Man, the uh, Spider-Man manga. There was a, cha a chapter that I got really pissed off about because like, AB Blood's the universe recipient. <laughs> but yeah, like there's a science consultant to this story. How do you overlook that? So. Luna hesitates a bit, and then Senku says, hey, I know you're with the enemy, but you're all I've got. So Luna hesitates some more, and then she says, hey, I've got one request, and I don't even need an answer. Just say you'll think about it, because that'll be enough for me to get through this. And so Senku's like, hey, well, I mean, if you're going to ask me to surrender, then I'm not. that's not going to happen. And she's like, once you're better, will you be my boyfriend? And there's this like distant shots of the of the Perseus. Oh, not the Perseus, it's of the tunnel. And there's like working away. And then they cut back to Senku. He's like, ah! <laughs> wasn't expecting that request. Uh, we cut back over to the tunneling again. Uh, there's this really cute little moment where it's where they're like, we need to, it would be great if we could knew the fortress's layout because we don't want to tunnel into their barracks. We want to tunnel into somewhere that's not occupied. So Taiju's like, hey, Carlos, you want to draw us a map of the castle? Yes. Uh, Wait, no. Um, then we get uh, a bit where uh, Ukyo gets, you know, called on their cell phone, quote unquote. And uh, there are uh, numbers being recited. And Carlos recognizes the voice reciting the numbers, reciting the code. And it's it's Luna. And so Ukyo hears the message and he freaks out about it. 
He apparently passes on the message to Carlos, who freaks out about it. And then he starts crying. And it turns out the message is, I finally found me a boyfriend, Senku. And Taiju's like, oh, good for him. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, both Chrome and Kohaku are like, all right, what's going on here now? (laughs) They know Senku now, of course. Carlos is really upset. But for whatever reason, um, his priority is I am with Miss Luna. So the logic, I suppose, is if she has decided to be Senku's girlfriend, then I'm with her. I'll help you draw the map. And he and he draws the map for them of the castle so they know where to tunnel inside. Hooray. Uh, Suika is also concerned about Gen being in there, what they're going to do. Chrome points out, yeah, he doesn't know that we're using the Uesugi code because that was something that Ukiya brought with them. So, uh, but Kohak is like, he'll be fine. You know, yeah. he's 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 an underhanded asshole. So fortunately, uh, Gen still has uh, the radio uh, transmitter with him, uh, which he's managed to keep hidden this whole time. And uh, he gets a code. Uh, with in the numbers, and he's like, "Okay, hang on a second. It's got to be." And he just immediately puts it together. Okay, Uusuki cipher, and uh, use that to uh, translate the message that he's getting. Uh, however, at that moment, he hears through the doors, <laughs> Zeno being evil, basically. <laughs> he's like, "Oh yes, I'm for We're ready. The day after tomorrow, we will put our plan into action." And so Gen's like, oh, this is bad news. I better, I gotta, you know, some, some bad's going on here. We cut back over to the Perseus. And Luna is like, so I'm dating Senku now. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and she's hanging out at Francois's bar. And Francois is just like, a philosophical question <laughs> to be sure. No, tell me now. What does it mean? <laughs> And she points out, I was like, I mean, like, we don't hang out. We don't hold hands. But, I mean, I don't care because I'm so smooth. I, I'm capable. But, you know, I want I want to know. What, what does this entail exactly? Uh, and she clearly has the suspicion in her mind already that Senku's basically just told her what she wanted to hear so that she would he could get what he wanted. Um, and she's like, yeah, I mean, nobody would ever, you know, believe that if they tried it on them. Right. And nobody's looking eye contact with her. (laughs) But then Kinro just is like, uh, yeah, one time he got married in order to advance his goals. (laughs) And then he got divorced. (laughs) This series is weird. Uh, so they get word that, you know, the showdown is going to happen. Uh, Stanley comes towards them in the biplane, but fortunately they finished up with their plans. They've got the plane ready. They've got the runway ready. And so uh, Ryusui loads up in the airplane and Senku's there with him too. I really, he's fine. He I, went in the iron lung for him and he's fine. I really wonder, like, I understand Senku's going to have some science about how to dogfight effectively or something like that. But can't she use a radio or something? The man has been is recovering from a bullet wound. And it's like, all right, heft his carcass up there. I'm sure that he won't have any side effects from flying around in a fucking plane. 
So they're going to go in, into this dogfight. There is a cute little exchange that happens right before they take off where Ryusui says uh, uh, that that Stanley guy better brought, brought his pilot A game because in this flight, we'll avenge Senku. And Senku's like, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> so fun chapter. Um, it's nice to see some of the, you know, zanier character shenanigans happening uh, in the series again, despite the dire circumstances that they're kind, they were kind of in. So. Yeah, I kind of like Luna. I, I assume that if we're going to keep a character from this like general cast, I think Luna is probably the one of the more fun ones we could keep. So I think this chapter kind of showing a little bit more of her. I do agree with some people, though, that it's a little annoying that, you know, she's like a medical student and Senku had to walk her through medicine. That's kind of an obnoxious little detail, but, you know, mm. I'll get around it. Yeah, Um I'm sure that her practical knowledge definitely came in handy. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think that part of it might have also just been like Senku's the kind of person in that situation who keeps a rational head and Luna's clearly not. I think that if, if I were to make a prediction about the big development in this in terms of like Senku told Luna that he'd be her boyfriend if uh, it meant that uh, he could get this done... I'm pretty sure that he will do it because that's just what Senku do. If he mm. makes a promise about something, then he will keep it. Um, and I think that that'll actually be kind of interesting to see unfold for a, for a little bit. I think that we're, it's going to be mitigated by the fact that Luna doesn't seem to know what that actually means because mm. she seems to have no uh, experience with being in a relationship. Um, but, uh, I think that that's going to be the development that comes from this. Is not just like, oh yeah, he just told him. It's like, nope, he'll he probably will actually do it. Yeah. So, all right, Nick, let's move on to Mashal Magic and Muscles Chapter Twenty Eight: Mash Van Dead and the Broken Mash Broken Mask mm, Cream Puffs. So last time, Abyss Razor was fighting against Mash and had done his Ultra Magic and couldn't couldn't be stopped. And then Mash caught him a second time, and we left off on the big thing, Full Muscles Magic, Hurricane Rush, and Mash punches Abyss, and we see that he punches him so hard, he shoots him straight out of his his second spell, like, arena, so much so it shatters through the dome itself, and then it hits into the ceiling, and... As the abyss is falling, he's like, my second spell was shattered by his incredible strength. And basically, Mash does what Sanji did to Kurobi back in like Arlong Park, where he just lists off a bunch of muscles and just keeps kicking the shit out of Abyss Razor over and over again. And Abyss is thinking like, oh, my God, if we're on different levels, if I lose here then my reason for existing goes to use Excel Ray's magic again. Mash just grabs onto the sword and then just catches him in the face again, just kicks him all over the place. There is a ridiculously awesome panel that uses like digital blurring to really create this awesome 3D kind of image of like all of the shots that Mash is using to send this guy in different directions, actually creating like seeing the depth of that between this dome that's getting shattered over and over again. And finally, Nash gives his, his big final spell, Erector, Spine, and then just, I guess he just 
basically pile drives. Mid-air German suplexes him, Chris. Yeah, basically. Mid-air German suplexes him. Basically suplexes him down so hard it destroys everything that's left left of the second spell. Just obliterates it. And there's this great transition of three straight pages of like, or three straight panels of like the smoke slowly fading away until you can see, oh, MASH has just crumpled this guy into a fucking crater. And Abyss is like, you know what? I can't help but think, what if I had been born normal? What if I, when I was still a child, when my eye was discovered, you know, and he just goes to explain his backstory that, you know, he was born with this eye, it's considered an affront, his parents caged him up, kept him hidden, just gave him food, and eventually grew so tired of his existence that they tried to kill him. And how, we don't really know how he survived that, but he must have survived and then found out, like, well... It looks like I was just useful for Lord Abel. All he really needed was a toy or was a tool. And he's like, you know what? I should have never been born, but I didn't even make for a good tool. So once again, I'm back to being unwanted by anyone. Matt says, you know, you're probably right about me being blessed, but you know, we could become friends. And the guy just starts laughing. He's like, ah, you know what? I wish it'd be that easy, but don't bother. It's not as easy as you think. I've seen too many people change their attitude toward me due to this eye. As long as I have it, your attitude toward me will shift one day too. But for your kindness, let me advise you, do not progress any further. You cannot defeat Lord Abel. And, you know, when you faced him before, that was nothing. Even though you've retained, even if you've retained some stamina from this fight, Mash interrupts him. It's like, thanks for warning me. I'm going to go give him a good wallop, though. So, thanks. going to go give him a good old punch in the yeah. nog. <laughs> uh, oh, and by the way, I won't change my mind. No matter how much the world loathes your eye, no matter what others say about you because of it, my attitude towards you won't change. Because that's how my pops raised me. Me, who can't use magic. We should eat cream puffs together next time. Bye! And Mash walks away, and Abyss Razor is alone there, just laughing, saying, What a strange guy as their mask cracks one final time. Uh, I believe Lord Abel, by the way, for people asking, I believe that's the puppet guy. I believe I, so. It's the only member I think of the, the wolf fangs that we haven't really met yet. Uh, especially because uh, Abyss uh, says, when you faced him before, that yeah. was nothing. Yeah. And the only, yeah, Mash did square off against him briefly. Uh, yeah, uh, cool stuff. Um, I do appreciate the, you know, little bit of super shonen uh that mash showed uh here in terms of like no i can, I can get past that we can still yeah. be friends you know still sees the good in people even when they've been the uh, assholes to uh, uh his friends yeah i love this chapter a lot the action in it's fantastic i think the visual of it uh it, it was really a chapter where i, I it, i'm reminded again that the author of mash is a ridiculously good artist and can draw really incredible scenes when it's not just mash being like cream puff and everything like that. I'm like, it's great. It, like, come on. Rock Lee versus Gar was like the best fight in Naruto. And this was like, like kind of like a, like a half version of it in a way, a, a version of it with less competitiveness basically, but it was such a cool fight and the art was just phenomenal. And I love that it ends on like a great message of mash being just a good dude. <clears throat> all right guys no more mission yozakura family Mm-mm. but we're talking about a different series starting again now ayakashi triangle so we did cover a few set chapters of this 
back then I was like, okay, if few series end, which they did, well, because they're going back to this and uh, with some of the stuff that we've dropped, I think it was time to go back to this and all right, look, this, this is not good. <laughs> so should we catch people up very, very briefly on what's kind of happened since then? Because well, I guess the easiest way to explain it is that there's been some time spent on Suzuka or whatever her name is, friends, the two other girls we met previously. Suzu's friends, yes. Uh, Matsuri has grown a little bit closer to them, a mm. little bit more comfortable being around them. So they're more of a group of four friends now as opposed to Matsuri kind of like being nearby while Susan yeah. goes to be with her friends. Uh, beyond that, uh, there was a character who was Shiro, introduced. The... Shiromeko. Is that the cat's? Aikashi's Shiromane. Name? So the ca- or something like that. So Shirogane, that was it. So he is posing as just a house cat so that he can be nearby. Uh, so the Matsuri can, can keep an eye on him essentially. And also so that he gets to be near Suzu. I'm not sure exactly why they decided that was the best approach beyond just Suzu didn't want Matsuri to kill him. Um, But anyway, so. uh, And yes, another uh, exorcist uh, is at the school. Exorcist. And he's a nervous dude. They're exorcist ninja. Yes. (laughs) And um, there is a bit of a weird. There is a dynamic between he and Matsuri that is sometimes interesting, but is mostly stupid uh, because. He's got this rivalry with the Matsuri that he's heard of. But now that Matsuri is a hot girl, he gets really easily embarrassed around her. Uh, sometimes it's handled in ways that are, that are better than others. Uh, anyway. So, uh, Matsuri in this chapter starts talking to Lou about some manga that they're reading. Uh, because uh, not, that, not that they're reading, but uh, manga that are related to uh, Switch on Myoji, a game that uh, is being played on uh, Matsuri's phone. They start talking about it for a bit. And uh, then as they're doing that, Suzu's kind of observing from, from afar. And uh, then the other girl, the red, red hair girl, I guess is like, let's go. We got PE. We've got to change. And Suzu's like, wait a minute, change. Oh no. Matsuri's going to go into the girl's locker room. And then she's like, wait, is he going to try and take advantage of this while the girls get undressed? That won't do. I'll just have to be the shield. And she, we cut to where they're in the locker room. And basically, Suzu is just like, if you're going to look, only look at me out loud (laughs) while undressing in front of Matsuri. Meanwhile, Shirogane is like, "Mm, Suzu's having shameless thoughts again. (laughs) Uh, But fortunately, he's not just there to be like, you know, girls, loot things, man. He's like, Okay, if Matsuri's changing, he's going to drop his guard at some point. He's going to, you know, stop keeping track of the ceiling scroll, and I can grab it, I can return to my true form, and I can devour Suzu. And with all these students here, it'll be a great distraction while while Matsuri changes. And Matsuri does something. I don't know what he does. He like but... jumps and pulls like puts on his clothes at once. I guess he uses the wind to get his shirt over his head and then pulls up his shorts in like one fluid motion. 
And it's very important that we get a, a big shot of uh, his ass while he's pulling the shorts up. Yeah. It's essential to, to the plot. Because it's also um, it's also narratively relevant that uh, Matsuri keeps the scroll in the back of his sports bra, basically. Well, that's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to the actual oh, no. uh, I know. full page spread of him changing, where it's just like, yeah, we needed that zoom in on the on the, on the the butt. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It was well, necessary. come on. <laughs> we know what this series so, is. Matsuri gets changed very, very quickly. And it's like, okay, see you guys later. And uh, so left no opening for Shiragana to get to the scroll. There, all right, fine. Uh, meanwhile, there's just a cat in the locker room. And so the girls are like, a cat! I'd be the same way. I'd be like, look at that good-ass cat. And I'd be chasing it around. Look at, look at him. Look at him licking, licking his butt. Ah, oh, that great cat. I love that cat. Uh, Suzu's like, oh, I feel kind of stupid for having weird thoughts about what Monster was going to do. Um at that moment, uh, Lou is like, hey, did you see that on Matsuri's stomach? And Suzu is confused by this because on Matsuri's stomach is the the, the, the curse seal thing, the gender swap mark. Uh, and supposedly only people who can see it are like spirit sensitive people. And then it turns out Lou's just like, she has a really cute belly button. I wanted to take a picture of it. Okay. All right. Yeah. <sighs> Also, she's in her underwear. It's very important we see her in her underwear. It's very, very important. important. Very important we see that. It's also uh, really unnerving that she would take unsolicited pics of her friend while they're in the changing room. But, you know, in the locker room. whatever, I Every guess. Every day. <laughs> it's pretty uncomfortable, but all right. Uh, she also happened to take a picture of the scroll since, you know, it's tucked into Matsuri sports bra. And so Sue's like, oh, no, how, how are we going to explain that? But we immediately cut uh, to when they're out of PE running. And Matsuri has a pretty simple cover for this, which is just like, my family are descendants from Ninja, so I have this scroll, which is an heirloom, and I just keep it with me. for you know. And they're like, oh, okay. So, so <laughs> Sounds good. That's honestly like, I do appreciate that she didn't try and make up some old bullshit. Uh, he was just like, yeah, but it's half truth, so. Um, so it's like, all right, good. There's that. And, but although Suzu is thinking like, yeah, we can't tell them that you're an exorcist ninja and you use the scroll to seal Nayakashi because she remembers her past where she was like looked down on because she would say that she would see ghosts and stuff like that. And she's like, I don't want, we can't, you know, have people thinking that. Then we have this weird moment where there are guys out of PE and they're scoping out Matsuri's huge knocking titties. And it's like, he's wearing a sports bra. What kind of defective ass sports bra is causing his boobs to around like that? Also, it does my favorite thing that horny things do where like the idea of jiggle is very erotic to the to the creator. But I I guess there's a version where it's like normal jiggles fine. I want a jiggle that's not physically possible. Like the beach, the extreme beach volleyball games used to have it where one breast would shoot up and one would shoot to the right. It's like that kind of thing. Like the breasts aren't going in any kind of like right. physically possible way at the same time. Like one's shooting this way and one's going up what and if, you're just like, who is this for? What if like his, his boobs are like matching his stride. So like when he steps forward with his right leg, the right boob goes up the left leg, the left boob goes up. Imagine that kind of autonomy. Like if you could like, like when you move one side of your body, one breast jiggles and the other one's like, I'm going to chill out, but I might still get some shack waves sending me another way. <laughs> so who knows what I'm going to do. There's that going on. 
Matsuri notices that there are guys checking him out, and so he's wondering what he should do. Because um, he's like, how do we react to this? Maybe I should, like, you know, be able to tell them to piss off. And uh, the two friends are like, hey, quit, quit fucking scoping her out. Um, even though they do the exact same thing. But they do, you know, take they do have Matsuri's back. And it's like, all right, that's nice. They're still getting closer as friends and stuff. That's cool. And uh, Matsuri is thinking to himself, normal people can't see Ayakashi. I get that, Suzu. And that's for the better. It may have been different in the past, but today, that's what's normal. But for a brief moment, I think that it would be cool if these two could also see the world as we do. And starting from here, like, we actually get, like, oh, okay, there's a story here. It's not just all about boobs. And I, this is where it's like, okay, now there's, like, an actual plot happening, and that's nice. Which has been a weird thing to read Ayakashi Triangle and kind of have to be like, all right, Here's the part of it that's just <laughs> boobs. And then here's the part that's like, okay, if this were here without the boobs, the story would, in general, be way less successful. <laughs> but it's still kind of good, like that other stuff. So It's it's also interesting, too. Ayakashi Triangle has been doing very well so far in the rankings. Yeah. I really want to see, like, fucking volume sales come out. Everyone at the same time is like... I guess horny boys have a lot of money. God damn it. <laughs> I hope that they're boys. So, uh, end of school. Um, Shiragane comes to Matsuri and has got, been awarded with food by the girls who are like, a cute, hey, cute kitty. So, I would give yeah. food to the cat as well. Nick, everything <laughs> they're doing for this cat, I hard agree with. I'm like, yes, you should give him food. You should chase him around regardless of the circumstances. Everything they're doing is correct. This, this is maybe the best world. Uh, Matsuri gets a notification on his phone, an Ayakashi alert from the Exorcist Ninja app. And we have a very Mission Yozakura family moment of like, what, there is, there's that kind of thing. It's like, yep, in this world, there is. There's everything for, for, uh, for Exorcists. So it turns out that there is some sort of distortion happening in uh, Omiko City near the, near the high school. And so Susan's like, well, what does this mean? And basically, Matsuri's like, it's more likely to be uh, Ayakashi appearing. Uh, Suzu's friends come back and Lou's like, hey, take a look at this. Sujimori sensei was working out in the schoolyard and I snapped a pic. In character, she takes pictures of everything. And look, look at what came up. And in this picture of the gym coach guy who's really into cats lifting dumbbells and stuff, there's this <laughs> demented face right up against the camera. I was like, like holy shit. Look, if there wasn't that horrifying face in there, that actually would be a pretty legit shot. Like, I'd use that in everything. Yeah. If there was, like, a shot of me in, like, a, like a courtyard with giant muscles and a dumbbells and a sweet stash. Lou says, I take 300 picks a day, but this is a first. I'm so hyped. And, uh, of course, the other friend's just like, it looks really real. It's kind of scary. Matsuri immediately concludes, like, yeah, there is an Ayakashi at work here. And they take a closer look, and they realize that there are these creepy, demented spirits actually surrounding Lou. And so Susan's like, hey, you know, I think you should delete that picture. And Lou's like, no, I'm, I'm gonna, I might never get a shot like this again. I'm going to make this a poster and put it up in my room. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh but uh, at that moment, uh, Shirogane speaks to Suzu as they're walking along, says that Ayakashi is 
an icon, an ill spirit, a cluster of humans' negative residual thoughts, and it's been captured on the camera, which means it's, she also captured his existence. An, an icon doesn't have the power to physically attack a person, but it is able to possess them. And Sumatri's like, I gotta do something, or it's going to suck away her life force. Uh, so she's like, Lou, I want to see your manga collection. And so they're like, oh, was, okay, sleepover at Lou's house. And uh, so Lou's like, all right, yeah, we've got tomorrow off anyway. And then uh, just just go back over. We got to drag drag this over. It's like, yeah, it's it's, it's by the artist of Chilovru. <laughs> My house is big. So we can all have a communal bath, too. <laughs> As there are, like, monster spirits behind her, like, rah, rah. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> and the cat just stops the end of the chapter being like, something shameless this way comes. <laughs> like, why are you on board with this? What if you just like? What if you just took that one like uh, song from the Harry Potter movie where they did like a song about a uh, version of that? Oh, you know, they were like, something wicked this way comes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Boobies, boobies, boobies. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is very much like it's like a chapter that actually builds up their relationship and you're 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 kind of being like all right you know these girls are starting it nice i think they should respect boundaries a bit more but you know this is a weird horny series written for boys so i guess i don't know what i'm truly expecting here but hey they're they're making more of a connection with one another and oh no one of them's in danger i'm worried about her life but we still yes. gotta end in on a tease that they might all see each other naked next week, you know? Because that'd be kind of hot, right? <laughs> like, that's what the author's saying. He's like, would it be kind of hot if they all saw each other naked, though? We're gonna find out. He's still next week. You're gonna find out. <laughs> when I, I, I actually talked to uh, Jeff, Jeff Newly Jeff, of mm-hmm. uh, the Podigious podcast and uh, Love It or Weep a podcast. Plug, 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 plug. Uh, and I talked to him a little bit about Ayakashi Ika- Triangle. And, you know, kind of told him, like, what it's about and stuff. And then I, I had to say, like, you know, it's actually kind of better than I <laughs> thought it was going to be. And I had and it was like, so as it goes, like, uh, <laughs> no, no, look, no, it's better than it has any right to be kind of. But that's not good, you know, because <laughs> like, it's a really low bar to clear. Yeah. Yeah. So, nah, it's, uh, you know what? It was not an awful chapter. Got a couple last time. And there was that good ass cat in it for a little bit. Good times. <laughs> He's not a good ass cat. He <laughs> wants to eat one of the cats. Nick, all cats are good. And yes, I, I'm sure many cats want to eat things. You know what? That's fine. That's part of being a great ass cat. Nick, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about Black Clover, page 262. Let's wrap things up on a high note, a turbulent conference. And I said high note because I like being ironic. This chapter is subdued So we're introduced to Nietzsche. And uh, it, I'm going to call them Nietzsche from henceforward because Ach. no, Nick, I don't care. Our German listeners Ach. can deal with it. Nietzsche. I looked up how to actually pronounce this particular form of CH in German. And you have to basically do Acht, and which is like you know, a soft uh, throat move, kind of. So nature boy Ric Flair is like, hey. 
And the little devil comes out and is like, Hey, what's with the show? again! <laughs> hey, what's up there with the shorty over there? And so Ric Flair says, Unfortunately, I don't know how the fuck to pronounce it. Gimodlio. Gimodlio. I don't know. All these. Th- Gimli is like, hey, you know, you're short and he is like, hey, give me a pick, man. This is my reform. And Asta's like, what the fuck? How is this guy talking with the devil? Like, this is crazy. So Asta's like, wait, you're a devil host too? And he's like, yep, that's my devil. Gimodlio. Hey. Hey, Benny, what's and like, yep, I'm the vice captain of the Black like, Bulls. I don't know if I if I want to trust that guy. If you're a cat shape, though. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a good cat. That's a good ass cat. Uh, so first, like, yeah, you know what? Uh, but that's just something Nam, uh, uh, Yami arbitrarily decided at one point. That's what Captain Yami did. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't make sense. I've only been into the hideout once. They're like, why is that? He's like, because I hate Yami. He's annoying. All he, all he does is poop. He's so obnoxious. I hate him. I've been a spy in the Clover Kingdom the whole time. And Asta, Speaking of a yes. Yeah. So Asta's like, you know what? I don't know anything about you. I don't know if I can even trust you. But as I am now, you're the only person I can turn to. So please teach me a devil's power. So Ric Flair's like, okay, that's good. I like people like that. You are being no horseman. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> so... We're going to do it tomorrow. Get some rest first. Uh, it's just like, it's stupid. Anyway, there's a big meeting with all the rest of the captains. That's where we actually get our title page. So all the captains who are still around and, uh, you know, filling in because William Vanchett's gone. Uh, I forgot the Wizard King's 12 years old now, but that ha- that was like a reminder of that. Look, this part's donkey shit. It was a quick reminder that I was like the other parts of Black Clover are not interesting because basically every character gets their big like, here's my personality in five seconds reminded where, you know, Charlotte's like, oh, if Matt, if Yami got defeated, then who cares? That's her secret. Like, oh, no, but I, I love Yami. And, you know, Jack the Ripper's like, ah, I'm going to kill everybody. And they just have a bunch of fighting and a bunch of arguments uh, I forgot Rill's a character and he's obnoxious in his moment. Five characters do like introduction, like interruptions. Like Jack the Ripper stands up, is like, oh, I'm out of here. Nozelle's like, don't you dare head out. You know what? We're going to do this. We're, we're going to, you're not the only one who wants to kill those fools with their own hand. And then Fuego Leon shoots fire from his arm and he's like, would you three control yourselves? And you think that's supposed to be the de-escalation, but it's not. They all keep arguing. And then eventually Nature Boy Ric Flair just comes in and insults the ball. It's like, you guys suck. Anyway. I- what? <laughs> you do there. We got a face. The NWO. <laughs> it's a pretty good Ric Flair. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and it's pretty much what uh, uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair says. <laughs> You son of a bitch! <laughs> That's pretty much what when Ninja Boy Ric Flair says, too. He says, uh, I can't help, I hate people who can't hold proper meetings, dot, 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 and the NWO. So. Uh, <laughs> and then you elbow drop your jacket. Uh, look, this chapter's not great, just because not. it's not, like, a really fun follow-up. Uh, Ric Flair, or whatever we're gonna call him, is not a particularly interesting character because he just hates everybody and it's kind of a boring gimmick. And then that's it. That's really the entirety of the chapter. 
Yeah, this really feels like it should have been a chapter where, I mean, honestly, I didn't want to have to deal with the very obvious implications of what has to happen now where they everyone has to regather and figure out what they're going to do now that they're short two captains right. and what the enemy's going to do with them. Obviously, that's something that's got to happen. Uh, and it makes sense that uh, Nacht is there to uh, to address it. I don't know why he's brought Asta along. I don't think that Asta has anything to contribute to this conversation beyond being Asta. Uh, but uh, yeah, he, he. it seems like this should have been a part where it's like, okay, we're going to go off now and we're going to do Asta's training or we're going to do stuff to learn more about who Noct is as a character. And instead, we got all this conversation between characters we already know. And none of them say anything that we aren't familiar with already. And they're ha- having the reactions that basically you would expect them to have. There's nothing different from that. It's you know, it's kind of like, hey, remember all these guys? And it's like, yeah, I do. They were all not involved in what was happening recently. And that was when the manga was good. So it feels like a bit of a fall off now that we're going back to them. So, yay. Also, Asta, I don't think it's supposed to be back into the country yet. They haven't found and killed the devil, so I'm pretty sure he's still exiled. Yeah, but I assume I assume they'll bring that up next chapter, I hope. Unless they were like, eh, in the time skip, we just handled it. Literally, uh, you, as we were going through the end of the chapter, I was like, I forgot that they went back to this meeting. And then I, and then I realized, like, oh, it's because it was boring and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the manga for this week. Um, so we want to thank you guys for joining us. We are going to start reading Code Breakers for the recommendation for Statistics September. And now it's, it's time to uh, say what was good this week. Favorite series and MVP, Chris. Uh, so I, I, the chapter I enjoyed the most this week was Mashal. I really thought it was a great fight. It was a great end to it. Lots of amazing artwork. Like the little end there. Really solid chapter all the way around. Okay. Uh, I don't know about my chapter of the week. I'll have to think about that for a bit. But uh, for MVP, I think pretty easily I'm going to begin giving it to Maka because just so ruthless and just like it. This is a very much like a an understandable the villain monologue part of the story because she just knows so confidently that she has broken Denji and that she can just say it now. And uh, it really does kind of it, it's a great reveal of like, this is what she's been planning the whole time. She built him up just to destroy him because that was the way that she would get the chainsaw devil on her side and get what she wanted. And yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, my favorite, se- my favorite series. Sorry uh, to, to double down, but uh, I'm going to give it to Dr. Stone. OK, uh, I thought it was you know, amusing character stuff. And uh, yeah, so. I've torn on MVP. I guess I'm just going to go with my answer. I, I really liked Uega this chapter. I, li- I liked a good like teaching <laughs> moment from him. So I'm going to give it to him. Uh, the audience, by the way, agreed with you. Makaba was their MVP of the week. And Mashal was their favorite chapter of the week. All right. So we, we each had uh, one that we agreed with. Yeah. So. I think this was generally a pretty good week of manga. Yeah. Um other than you know the kind of come down in uh black clover and the confusion in burn the witch everything was pretty solid so yeah all right let's uh wrap things up then 
We appreciate you guys joining us for the live recording of Weekly Manga Recap, which we do here on twitch.tv slash RolloT Wednesdays uh, around 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can follow us on Twitter, at Podcast at RolloT, at NickFTime, and you can get the exact time each week that we are going to begin recording for the show. You can also check out our past episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com and wherever podcasts are broadcast. Spotify uh, and all those sure places. Be sure to check out our Discord server where you can uh, participate in the weekly polls to decide the audience MVP and favorite series of the week, as well as to make suggestions for a manga for us to read, keep track of all of the stuff associated with the podcast, what we've covered, uh, and that kind of thing. Take part in polls that are conducted uh, all via the uh, Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i. Uh, special thanks go out to people who support us on Patreon so that we can support bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Special thanks to Steam Man, our tile card artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. And uh, to Infinite Planet for making the uh, frame for the visual broadcast of the show. And to Milo Jack Stillitz and Winslow Cheddar for creating the opening theme of Weekly Manga Recap. Yep. All right. That's going to do it. Um, yeah. Fart noise. I don't know. I feel like I've done that one before, too. Chris so. Lutz, let me tell you. You came to Charlotte thinking of you. We're going to be the man to beat the man. But you're going to do it. Woo! Oh, you want to come at me there, Nietzsche boy, Rick Flair? Can't do this voice. My- <coughs> I tried. <laughs> <laughs>